Welcome to Thirst for Knowledge Cast, Episode 7. I'm one of your hosts, Steve, and with me is the delver of all secrets, Lawrence Harmon. What's up, Steve? How are you doing, man? Good hearing from you, man. We had uh, Jarvis Yu fill in the shoes last week, but, you know, I'd rather have your smooth vocals coming across. Yeah, I mean, he filled my shoes. We'll see if I'll be able to fill his uh, green Dartmouth polo this week. Yeah, I, I think I will see him this week, uh, and that'll be a very interesting. I haven't seen him for a while. How, how have you been? I've been all right. Uh, just working on a few things. Um, almost done with the primer. I have most of it posted and we'll be finishing it up today. I uh, just want to update a few few more things. So that's nice. And then uh, just trying to get a few other things in motion uh, for our listeners and patrons and all that. So. We'll see how that uh, pans out. I mean, that's awesome stuff, man. I mean, you've been, and you've been really working hard at this uh, Delver of Secrets format that we slowly turned into. But uh, I mean, did you catch any of the coverage from this weekend? Yeah, I watched a chunk of the Legacy SCG, but coverage. It was nice that it was Legacy, but it was kind of boring. I, I mean, you get a mix of like the standard SCG stalwarts, but you also get a mix of uh, just various people in. There's a lot of homogeny. Uh, we saw a lot of Delver. Kind of just the same matchups, depths, and just kind of, you know, the decks we were talking about would probably be the, like, best, quote-unquote, best decks. Uh, really uh, were represented at the top tables, you know. And uh, while it's nice to be able to predict metagames like that, it does make coverage kind of less interesting. And... Um, I can't remember who I was in a conversation with, um, but we were, I think it was Tan and Grace, actually. We were discussing how right now Legacy is in a weird spot and arguably not like a healthy spot, per se, uh, just because of, you know, like Ren and Six and the, some of the three-drop walkers. And right now Legacy's at a spot where Everyone has these very, very proactive game plans, and if you don't have one, then you get severely punished for doing so. So the format is like Delver, Depths, uh, Storm, and then there's like the four-color control deck, which uh, it won the Open, but it I want to say the results for the other pilots weren't that great. Um so we'll see how things pan out. It's just a matter of, you know, what happens. I think right now, you know, I, I'm generally not the one who says, hey, we should ban cards. Uh, and I don't think Ren and Six is a card that's too good by legacy standards. Uh, it is very pushed. But I would like to see that card have a finite tenure in legacy just so that we can get a bit more format diversity but you know with that said i'm also not a fan of the uh, war of the spark planeswalkers uh, for very similar reasons as Ren and six so there's just a lot of um decks going on that or decks that employ game plans where they're they have a plan a a plan b and then just everything seamlessly flows together 
and the like ultimate product of that is just your opponent not really being able to play magic and thinking back to a lot of the games i've played over the last month or so uh there's been a lot of play draw dependence which you know that could be a byproduct of playing delver uh pretty religiously but there's also been uh there hasn't been much back and forth there the games haven't been super interesting it just kind of feels like either I steamroll my opponent or my opponent steamrolls me. So I don't know if your feelings are similar to that or if you've had a different experience. How do you feel on the matter? Red and Six is kind of egregious. because I've been working on Red and Six decks since it came out. And I was trying to justify different things. And I saw Noah Walker on camera about 57 times because SCG was showing him and Jonathan Orr every round if they could. And I think... Yeah, Noah's great, but they were showing him a lot. Jonathan Orr on Four Color Loam. But uh, Walker was playing four Ren and Six in his list. Yeah, and what's funny is before I saw Noah's list, I was mulling over the idea of playing four Ren and Six last Friday-ish, I believe. Um, The card is ridiculous, and... It's it's just a one-card combo, right? It provides you the perfect early game, and it also provides you a crushing late game. And I was talking to some people, and what was the Miracle Shatter is, uh, it's mostly just displaced Tundra players at this point. Brad Bonin was talking about four-color control being the best Jace deck, and the thought popped in my head. It's like, yeah, you can play a Jace deck, but Renin 6 is basically a two-mana Jace. Like, you don't get the, like, card selection of Brainstorm, but you do get the card advantage and, like, inevitability of, like, your land drops. You have a game-winning ult, and then you also have the ability to interact with the board. Um, like, the only thing Ren and Six doesn't do is stop your opponent from drawing good cards, but in conjunction with Wasteland, it stops your opponent from being able to play the good cards they draw, which is just as good, right? Yeah. I guess, like, where I was trying to get to... So, I was considering four... When I was still considering four-color control as my deck because of, um... Oh, Svaka. Uh, Thomas Marr? Uh, yeah. Thomas Marr, yeah. He play, he's been playing four, and it hit me that I think that most of us have been actually considering Ren and Six in a wrong way. And I don't know about the listeners or you, but I'm most people I engage with, we've been considering it's a Planeswalker. And it's not really a Planeswalker. It's a cantrip that's modal in the fact that it cantrips for the land that you want in your early game of Legacy. It also can act as a removal spell in the second mode. And then on the third mode, it just, if it doesn't get interacted with, you'll win the game. And so it's actually like, because it's so cheap, it's basically like a two-mana cantrip in these decks. So playing four of them because it is kind of disposable isn't actually a penalty because you're expecting some kind of fight or, you know, even if, if it acts like a thought seize for their, their counter spell, it, it, there's a mode on it like that. And it's, and it's kind of an egregious card in that fact in, is what I came up well, with. Well, it's just the fact that it's like the best two drop, right? It, on turn two, you in the dark against most matchups, you're just like, oh, I'm just, I just want to play Ren and six. Right. And then on turn four or whatever, you're also fine just playing Ren and Six and doing stuff. Uh, because, you know, you liken Ren and Six to a cantrip, but 
having an engine that hits all of your land drops uh, makes your actual cantrips significantly better. Because in the mid game where you may have to like cantrip for your fourth or fifth land or whatever, Wind and Six has that locked up. So you just get to use your cantrips to find whatever spell you're looking for. And you get to brainstorm better, right? Like the, the big theory is you get to actually brainstorm. Instead of going, should I keep that extra land if I need it? No, you can you can just shove them away. Run and Six has got you. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, we I'm sure everybody's heard most of this before. We're just kind of rambling about how this card is busted. Um, like I said, I hope that the card uh, only has a short period in Legacy, just so we can get the format to open up a bit more, just get some new decks. It kind of feels like Legacy is largely solved again and is kind of homogenous. And I like Legacy when it's at a state where like, there is a best deck, so everyone knows what to gun for. But I also like when there's room for people to play, you know, whatever they want, as long as they know their matchups and everything. And right now you just get so punished for playing not one of the best decks. Well, this card is actually transcending brainstorm and bonder in some ways because like like even what was it we have rug infect and that's been coming around for a couple weeks now and you know we got decks flashing for red and six and you know but the big difference between ponder and brainstorm is there's also these non blue shells like the four color loam deck that they showed on camera a lot the naya loam deck the uh the lands deck that i think some land stacks are running it. These stacks are running it. So, like, running six for a car that's only been out three or four months is already populating in Deathrite Shaman numbers. Yeah, I mean, I had this conversation with someone at some point. But, like, if you're playing a fair deck and you're not playing running six, you're just putting yourself so obnoxiously far behind the curve. It's like this free inclusion that you can put in your deck and I think more and more people are catching on to it. And that's why we're starting to see, like, the Noah Walker 4, Ren and 6, you know, Rug Delver. And I think I saw, I may have seen Elves List with the card. And it's, it's really polarized the format, right? You just have the Ren and 6 decks, and then you have the decks trying to beat the Ren and 6 decks. And it is... Well, a lot of times, the foil to Ren and 6 is what? Playing your own Ren and 6. Well, it's right? just not letting theirs resolve and then playing your own, right? Like... Or, right. That's what I guess. What I'm saying is, like, you, you, if they resolve one, you, what do you need to do? You need to resolve one back to get back in the game. Yeah. Like how? What What does that remind you of? Uh, Deathrite Shaman, right? Uh, it was kind of like a whole like. I I get what you're going for. The difference is Deathrite Shaman could be easily interacted with, right? So yes, no, I, I I definitely agree. The interaction levels or like, you know, if if like one player got death rate down and then the other player got death rate down, and you just had death rate versus death rate, it would often become like a stalemate in just this sub game of like, when do I activate my death rate to take my opponent off a death rate? Maybe I'll do another upkeep or what have you or whatever. With Ren and Six, it's just who got it down first. That's the thing. It's it's not even. There isn't like the sub game. It's just my opponent resolved Ren and Six on the play. I have to find abrupt decay or blue blast to kill it within a couple turns, or I'm going to get very punished. Well, even even the like what two turns you've already down two cards, right? Like yeah, 
if you take like two turns killing your opponent's run and six, like it puts you so far behind. I remember watching Jarvis stream and he was playing a mare against someone. And they took these really, like, really aggressive lines to protect their win in six. And both Jarvis and I were like, I, I'm not sure they're supposed to be doing these lines. Like, they were going to really great lengths to protect it. And it ended up working out for them uh, somehow. It was, it was really weird. Um, in the dark, I don't think they're supposed to do that, but it ended up working out. But it's just one of those things where, you know, the card is so powerful that you can take lines that at least at face value seem suboptimal and not get punished. Oh, I, I mean, that's 100% something I agree with. It's just, uh, the emblem's kind of a get out of jail free card, right? Like, if you can, because you can get to the emblem so fast if it comes down on two. Yeah, if you have like any burn spell in your deck, the emblem is like just pure inevitability. At some point, your opponent is just going to die. I actually played this weekend and I emblemed. And I aggressively emblemed and lost my run in six doing it, but I had like five lands in hand and two blue cards. And then I had Force of Will, Days, these interaction spells in my hand. And I had like already board presence with several creatures. And my, my opponent was like, that was probably the wrong time to emblem. And, and then they never resolved a game. A spell the rest of the game. Yeah, the the day's soft lock is very real, and I think um, part of the reason I like four Ren and six, or at least what Noah was doing with that, you just have the redundancy. You just get to ult your first Ren and six on as soon as it hits seven, and then just slam your next one, and that's always the spot you want to be. So I think having the fourth copy is probably the right thing to do. He has a couple other things that are interesting about his list. Um, he opted to play three True Name Nemesis, and I think I get why. Well, he only played one Dreadhorde Arcanist. Um, True Name is traditionally a mirror breaker in these sorts of situations, and Dreadhorde Arcanist is really bad when more and more people are playing uh, these Lightning Bolt effects and all that. Like Against the Tundra decks, you just play True Name, and that can often just win you the game. And it's a way to attack through board stalls involving Tarmogoyf. So there's just a bevy of reasons why you want the third true name. I really like his list. Yeah, I think he went with no snakes though, right? He went with no snakes. Some players have been on one or two. I haven't personally tested the card. Um, I know a few people who have and they've been fans of it. Jarvis liked exactly one because you can... You know, you just want to draw the one, and that's fine. But when you draw two, you you know, you don't have the time to really leverage two copies of the card. And usually, like once the first copy is leveraged, the game is over. Yep, I played one in my list um, this last weekend. It was dumb. It was actually just a dumb card. It was like kind of like my card for name. So that's, I mean, that's what I basically took it as. It was my, it was my third. Yeah, my only issue with the card is, like, it's good in random top deck situations, but it um, it's really bad in the early games. And I tweeted this out earlier today. Um, you messaged me, you said you were talking to GSY, and he said that he never boards out Delver Secrets. Yeah, that and it baffled, baffled me, but yes. Well, I, I get it. I, oft, I don't really board out Delver either. 
Um, I know there are some players who choose to try to go a little bigger in certain matchups. I think sometimes that's correct. I I don't employ that strategy that often. I was thinking about the current state of the Delver mirror. The like Delver on the draw feels kind of terrible. If you have the option to play your turn one Delver on the draw and your opponent doesn't have a board state, in the dark, or like historically, you're supposed to just play it. But right now, there's this whole game of, if I play my Delver, what's going to happen? Like, is my opponent going to play Ren and Six? If they do, can I fight over the Ren and Six? Uh, if you, like, say, like I've been in this situation. My opponent goes turn one land ponder, right? And then I go, I have the option to ponder, hold up a, or do like the play of like play a land, fetch land, pass, and just leave up days that can pay for days, uh, or like play my Delver, which is the highest EV play, right? And in the times I've elected to play my Delver, and my opponent has had written six with days back up. It's just like, okay, well, killed my Delver. I'm down to zero land. I have to have a lightning bolt exactly now to kill this Renin Six, and then I have to still be able to play the game. It's just like this ridiculous free like exchange of resources and tempo. My question about that one: I plan to play against a Punishing Fire deck over the weekend, <clears throat> and I sided out all my Delvers out in the matchup, and it was it was red green lands, but I still sided them out because this guy showed me map, magmatic magmatic. What is that called? Sinkhole. No, 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 no. The 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 red the red enchantment. Oh, molten vortex. Molten vortex. Thank you. He showed me molten vortex and uh, game one and punishing fires. So I was just like, all right, delvers, you're out. Now I kept the snake in, but I went out with all my delvers and just kept my arcanist, true names, and tarmogoyfs, and I destroyed him game two and three. And a lot of times it was because the punishing fires just weren't profitable for. Him. Yeah, for sure. I. <clears throat> In the lands matchup, I've usually been opting to leave in my Delvers because you do need that threat density, and sometimes your mana is under duress. Um, but it's it's like play turn one Delver, try and flip it, attack your opponent. It's like punishing fire, that's fine. You play your Tarmogoyf, but it's mostly just like you traded one mana for two, so that isn't a good exchange for them. They have punishing fire in their deck, which doesn't profitably interact with most of your threats, and uh, it, it's basically just like a weird duress time walk sort of situation. Obviously, Delver is going to be a bad draw in certain points of the game, uh, but I think I'm a fan of having it in the deck, or you can do like the old Jonathan Alexander plan, right? Like, when he would play Rug Delver versus Miracles, he would keep Delver Secrets in, but he would just never play it. And... Um, his game plan was very much all in on like Nimble Mongoose and True Name Nemesis, but Delver was often four spotter, except for like the subset of games where you just like your opponent may multiply. It's just like okay, well I'm gonna just double Delver you and kill you. So I like having that option, but I also like what you're doing um, on a theoretical level of just not playing uh, Delver in your deck post board against these punishing fire shells and trying to level them in sideboarding. I think. Well, I think you have a threat with. An early threat with Ren and Six. Well, you do, but... Um, so there's a couple things. Tarmogoyf can be clunky to resolve if you don't have a hand with, like, fetch lands to get him down on turn two. Obviously, you can get Ren and Six down, but 
you know, it, sometimes resolving your two drops is awkward. I also like diversifying my CMCs against these decks. Because of Blast Zone. Just because of, yeah, because of Blast Zone. So it's like, I think the opportunity cost of Delver is relatively low. And the upside of having it is pretty high in terms of just like rolling through your opponent. So I'm I'm particularly fond of keeping the card in the deck. Yeah, the blast zone came down at one point, but then I, I intentionally played a true name when he was at six. So he really couldn't like he 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 had a pick and choose. It's just getting in a lot of early aggression and then getting to the point where their mana is like really tied up and they can't um they either have to like be forced into going to for merit lage or what have you. Like, I guess there's a couple game plans. Like with Rug Delver, was get a Nimble Mongoose down, and then just kind of con- count, like pondering your permission constantly, and just play this game where I just would never let life from alone resolve, um, and just like force them, like just force them into getting time walked over and over, and just take three. And you can do a plan similar to that, but. You know, the best plans against lands are always just going to be these aggressive, um, tempo-focused game plans. The snake forced him to use up lands to keep my mana count down, because I got the snake to to level 3, but he couldn't let me get it to level 8, or I would just kill him. I would. I, my worry is that in the average game... Like, without Ren and Six, you're often functioning off of just, like, two-ish mana. Yes. You know, I had, tr- I had Ren and Six both games. Yeah, and, like, the Snake is a very mana-intensive card, and if you had, like, turn two Ren and Six both games against lands, I wouldn't even really count that as, like, a relevant data point in terms of your testing, because the card invalidates a lot of what they're doing against you and just gives you free reign to do whatever. Right, right? I guess that's what... But like a lot of times, like you want Delver for that turn one play, right? So like what I was thinking was like this is basically becomes your Delver in that matchup. Like even though it's a turn two play, like I just what I what I mulliganed to was like interaction for the first dumb spell that they always cast, whatever you can name it. It's always something different, and um, then hit him with the old run and six and just start going to town there. And I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I think I like that game plan a little bit better. I don't know how many Brilliant Six you're playing. I like that game plan a bit better if you're playing, like, Noah Walker's list. Land struggles to kill Tarmogoy if they struggle to kill True Name, and he has four Renin Six. That's what I was playing four Renin Six. But, okay, so you can build a plan reliably. Like, if you have three Renin Six, I don't think you can build a plan around resolving a two-drop and going from there. But if you have four Renin Six, four Goyf, and then, like, a Dreadhorde or two or what have you... I think that it's very easy to build a plan around uh, that whole idea. Take Jarvis list, cut a preordain because I think he has two preordains, and yeah. make it a run and six. That's my list because that's because I associated run and six as a cantrip, mm-hmm. but I'd rather have. I agree, but I'd rather have run and six than preordain. Like I mean, Noah did the same thing. He's down to one preordain. And just as four and six. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm I made this before I got to see Noah Walker's list, and obviously I still have Snake and two Dread Hordes where he picked up a spell Pierce. Well, he actually transformed into two spell Pierces and one spell Snare, 
and picked up one more counter spell and one more true name. Yeah, he's basically has like four delvers because that card can free win games and is like your best turn one play against a lot of the combo decks. And then he has Tarmogoyf and True Name, which are just hard to interact with Rhett. And I think his construction and four win and six rate. So it's like construction is four Delver and then eleven cards that are pseudo nimble mongies in terms of like your average mat in like the average matchup your opponent isn't going to be able to interact with them. So I I definitely like that game plan. I actually wonder if his deck there's no other suitable two drop. If there was, I think his deck would be better as no Arcanist. Um, like if you could play a fifth Tarmogoyf in rug colors and then as a two drop and then cut the preordain for a second spell snare and being on the four counter spells is soft permission. I don't like I don't like having just one preordain. Or just you know, preordain. I like having at least one on nineteen lands. Um, I agree. The Singleton Arcanist could potentially be something else, uh, and I think it's just a two drop there, or just the Arcanist because it's a two drop and curve considerations. And if you untap with it, it just you know runs away with the game, right? Right. I mean, it could be this. It could just be a snake too. That could be the snake at the same spot, but you don't have the same two-drop distribution. Yeah, I think the... Uh, I, I guess snake would be better if you have more cantrips, if you have more um, soft soft permission. I mean, snake is better if you want to metagame more for fair decks, but you don't need snake as much when you have four boy, three true name, four ran, right? I think the Arcanist is uh, hedged towards combo because it's like one of your better... like In terms of turn two plays, Arcanist is definitely up there against the combo decks just because it allows you to constantly weather the storm uh pun not intended yeah i know i beat i beat storm because of arcanist because i was able to like continually find my counter spells and they were like how did you keep doing it and like i pointed right at arcanist like this card carried me you know like the one damage is trivial but the fact that you keep finding your spells is amazing so, and I'm, I'm, and we've been ranting for a long time about Rug Delver. It was like the by far the largest uh, performer in the top 16s of all the tournaments this last weekend between the the Open, the Classic, the Energy 5K, and then the two Moto um, events. It performed, there was 22 copies in the top 16 of all those tournaments. So, like, when we're talking about Rug Delver for a long time, it's because you're probably going to face it. I guarantee yeah, it. <laughs> shout out to Rich Callie, who won the challenge. Um, he and I talked a good bit about Rug Delver before the Open, and then we were talking uh, before the Classic. He didn't win the challenge, sorry, the Classic. Um, he like, we were discussing the two of Raid, and I wasn't quite sure on it. Um, I generally liked having an Ancient Grudge, and um, he just wanted to try the two of Raid, because, you know, it's a flexible card. You can board it in in the mirror, you can board it in uh, against all the artifact decks. And um, <clears throat> I know he wasn't really happy with the second of Raid, so maybe he'll go elsewhere. Uh, I think a Magmatic Sinkhole is a good way to go. Um, but also looking at his list, I feel like he has 
one I, I still like Submerge in these Delver decks. Uh, it isn't as good against the Depth Shells because they can play around it. But with Delver Mirrors being so prevalent, having the free removal spell is just backbreaking. And while Null Rod is powerful, I don't think you necessarily need, you know, two of Raid or a Turn to Nature and a Null Rod. That seems like a lot of artifact interaction. Um, and I think I would probably cut one of the abrades for just something else. I've been running uh, a destructive reverie, and the card has been actually very uh, key because I faced a lot of non-blue decks and a lot of chokes and nonsense cards, and revelry's been kind of like the catch-all. Yeah, I've generally liked Return to Nature because... In the matchups where you generally want uh, artifact or enchantment, hate your mana is under duress in some way, and being able to cast, you know, return to nature to destroy like a choke or what have you off of tropical island wasteland is uh, relevant to me. Um, I, I know the damage from destructive revelry is a huge tipping point for a lot of people, as it allows you to just very much swing races in your favor. But um, I like Return to Nature's easier casting cost, and like being pseudo-Grave Hate is not insane, but it is definitely nice, right? Oh, yeah. And, well, I mean, my my point of reference was like I beat with the Lance player that the game I emblemed, because I just started casting the, Revel, the Destructive Revelry spell because he had explorations and moxes and stuff and that was just in a that's a um a weird situation that happened right like yeah that's i mean like ren and six emblem is literally just magical christmas land right like every magical christmas land story is like well if i get this card and that card together and then do this it's like well here's my past in flames emblem and i get to do all of those things I don't know so. if running six emblem is the Christmas land because it's so fast to come down and go up. And you no like, no no. I'm not saying it's like magical Christmas land in terms of like you know someone will tell you a deck idea or like a combination. Okay, gotcha. Idea, yeah, and you'll go. Well, that just sounds like magical Christmas land. I'm saying Brennan six is the personification of that. Like it's magical Christmas land actualized. Right. Yes. Yes. I I, I actually think like I. I I was actually having this talk the other day. I think I've actually ultimated Red Insects more than I've ult Jace. Yeah, because usually, like, I that makes sense. They concede. They concede usually with Jace, right? Uh, well, usually Jace would find, like, Entreat the Angels or something, and you would, like, put that on your, the stack, and your opponent would concede. Whereas, like, Red Insects Emblem, you, like, ult, and then your opponent's just like, oh, they look at your graveyard and, like, they see what you have access to, and they're like, oh, I'm dead. Whereas Jace, for some reason, people have always had this whole, like, my opponent's brainstormed 30 times, so maybe I can still win the game, right? Or, like, during Miracle's Era, I would have people who wouldn't scoop to countertop lock plus Jace. And it was frustrating because even when you would assemble that, there was a good period of time where you just had to keep brainstorming and constantly maintaining the top cards of your deck. And, right, and that's why you didn't. That's why you didn't. Right, because the card advantage wasn't tied to a plus. Right, there was like a period where you had to like get to seven cards in hand, then you could start plussing or whatever. But like against those people, what I would do is just discard and treat the angels to hand size at some point, 
and just look at them. And that's when they realized that like I didn't care about going to the bathroom in between rounds. And I was totally willing to one-on-one them. And they would concede because they got the point. Like they weren't going to win. And like I could still make plays that weren't not progressing the game state. But I was like locked into certain play patterns of um, having to maintain the top cards. Or, like I couldn't fetch because if I fetch and don't find a one drop or whatever, I, or like, you know, if I, like, you know, when your opponent's like sandbagging a bunch of lightning bolts, and if you fetch, you can get awkwardly trapped into a situation where they can bolt you out. So you're just stuck sitting there floating the same cards until your opponent eventually concedes or until you like get the chance to do something like entreat the angels for one after like popping the fourth sensitive divining top that I have in play and just attacking with one angel or whatever. Well, yeah. For me, like the big thing is the fact that, I mean, it, you plus you get card advantage. It ults on turn five. If it hasn't been interacted with and because of the nature of the Delver deck, you're able to actually keep throwing down other things that have to also be interacted with. So like you get that ult on turn five more than you should probably, you know, and that, and that's just fast, right? Turn five old. I mean, it's, I, I can't even understand it. Like you're just like, and especially if you play four, you really don't even mind you ult and throw it away. You know, you've done your job, you've drawn four cards and now I have an emblem that says I win the game eventually. So I, I'm, I'm really baffled by it. Two mana planeswalker is busted. Uh, if you're playing a fair deck without it, what are you doing with your life? That's kind of just legacy right now. I didn't, I didn't like get a count of, you know, the fair decks and like what percentage of them were playing Rin and Six. But I feel like it was a large majority of them. And like even some of the Lance players were playing it. Um, you know, we did see Zach Allen, Harlan Fear, and Drake Sasser do well with um, the Blue White Red Mentor deck, um, which is basically just Miracles without Terminus. And uh, this deck is interesting to me. Uh, I, I like Arkham's Astrolabe. It eliminates the cost of having red spells in your deck and makes playing basic mountain not have a downside, which is really nice. And, you know, the it's leaning in on the War Walkers, so it's doing the pseudo-prison thing that Miracles did. But when I look at Plow decks right now, I see the card source of Plowshares, and I'm like, that card's great. And then I look at every other, like, white card in your deck, and I'm just like, there are things in other colors that do similar effects at a better rate. Monastery Mentor isn't particularly replaceable, and there are a lot of game states where Monastery Mentor wins games that other cards wouldn't. But when thinking about that, my where, where I tend to wonder is... Um, are you in those games? Like, if you're playing a different deck, would you be in those game states, right? Like, if you look at these decks, these the rest of the format has a relevant play to make on turn one and or two and three, right? Whereas these blue-eye-red decks don't have a relevant turn two play. And that's a huge disadvantage when you're on the draw 
And when you're on the play, you don't really get to press the advantage as hard as other decks. And I think that this deck is... I don't think this deck is bad. Uh, I think it's a reasonable deck and it was played by a good pilot. And I'm curious to see how it pans out in the long run, right? I think Surprise Factor helped out a lot. I don't think... like It's miracles without the catch-up Terminus, right? Yeah, how many people played around Terminus instinctively... Uh, not realizing there's only one sweeper in the main, right? I mean, there was actually a Miracles player in the top 16, I think. Either the top 16 or top 32. So he was creating a kind of like the stifle effect for the uh, these other people. Because they were like, oh, I got Terminus once, it's not going to happen again. And I I don't know. I, the fact that you don't have a play on one and two and your first play is on three and you don't have Terminus to catch you back up because you've taken those first two turns off, makes me find this deck extremely... Uh, I, I'm very skeptical of it. I played it for like five hours the other day testing with my buddy, because we've been testing for Atlanta. And I built it, played it, and I didn't like any bit of it. You know, it's a bunch of reactive cards and a bunch of like three-mana bombs that are conditionally good against various things in the format. And I think the deck probably plays out better than it looks on paper, and it looks well-constructed. It just has all of the issues um, that the other Tundra decks have that I currently don't like about those shells, which is why I've been playing them. I just, like in white, I just went Source to Plowshares and almost nothing else, or, you know, I, I just think not having a proactive game plan in Legacy... While obviously you can do well, I think you have to put in way more work than everyone else. I mean, mentally, because you play long, your games are longer. Right? You know, you're going to play twice the tournament with this Tundra deck. Your games are longer. Your cards are like have your cards have a lower floor and impact than a lot of the other cards that people are playing. Um, and that's just kind of where I stand on these Tundra shells. I mean, I played against. Uh, we tested against. I test against regular Eldrazi, Drowsy Post, Rug Delver, a bunch of decks. And the problem was, is like to win, it, uh, yeah, if my opponent stumbled and I got to mentor and just go wide, yes, I won the game. But it first took my opponent stumbling, like me matching card for card, card for card, and then they stumble. The build, build your own predict with Astrolabe and Teferi 3. I mean, it's cute, but it's, it's four mana or five mana, right? Just the Astrolabe twice and the and the Teferi, just to draw the two yeah. cards. It's not so like your card advantage engines are just like these clunky three drops. And while Monastery Mentor is a powerful game breaking card per se, it's a very bad rate. Right? It's a three drop that's secretly a four drop that you want to untap with to get like other stuff going. And you know Miracles have like a or counterbalance and various other things to duress abrupt decays. But Narset and Teferi get answered by like Lightning Bolt or just like a Snapcaster attack at times. So I, I don't know. I just really don't like these Tundra decks at the moment. Um, right. I mean, you only have six removal spells main deck, anyways. Right. Like that's just done, like. Right? You have two Magmatic uh, uh, I'm sorry, eight. Eight. You have eight. You have two, two Council Judgments. Two sinkholes, but I only count the magmatic sinkholes and the swords. For they only games. played one council judgment, but you just do a huge disservice for yourself being this reactive. And 
you you aren't even necessarily like out faring the fair decks. I, I you're like I you do have the rest in pieces and stuff on the sideboard to answer Rin and Six. But if you're a Snapcaster Mage deck and you're boring and rest in peace to answer your opponent's card advantage engine, and you're willing to just like cut off your card advantage engine in matchups that are based around accruing card advantage, that probably just means something is wrong. So just so our listeners won't like kill us, yeah, he, Zach Allen was playing two Council's Judgments, two sinkholes. But like that also increases his curve. Like what we're talking about, like his curve was was extremely high. It started at three, you know, three mentors, one back to basics, two council judgments, two to fairies. Two. I mean, he's got a lot of removal, but it's at three, right? The four swords. I was looking at um Drake's list. It looks like Drake was playing something close to what Zach played in the Legacy Quarterly with both the Dovin's veto and his one spell. Yeah, and then Zach rebuilt his list to be a bit more mid-rangey. And, you know, it's just the struggle of, if you're playing a Tundra shell, what is the best, like, proactive thing you can do? And it's, like, Stoneforge Mystic, and the Stoneblade decks are just as mopey. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I I put in the show notes that they, they've lost their edge, they've dulled, because <laughs> they're just not, they are not anything... They're not, they're not showing up at all, and even if they do show up, you kind of laugh at them, right? Well, you don't laugh, but you're just like, did this person get good matchups, or are they very good? You know, that's kind of the legacy story. Like, maybe someone got lucky, but more than likely, it's just, you know, I'm a person who's been playing this deck forever. I really like playing this deck shell. And I know my matchups, and I'm willing to wade through everything else. And that's just how I feel about Blade. I, I, I don't know. I think you, I, when I when I say you laugh, it's because I think there's two unknown fetch lands, right? And they and they crack them on you, and they play Stoneforge Mystic out of nowhere. You're probably like, oh, oh, thank goodness! It's just Stoneforge Mystic. It's not Red and Six. It's not Dread Horde. It's not Tarmogoyf. It's not. It's just Stoneforge Mystic, right? Yeah, I mean, if your opponent plays like Scalding Tarn Go, that, that, there's a lot of decks that it can be in the format. And if turn two, you don't have to deal with a Ridden Six, you're usually letting out a sigh of relief. And turn two, Stoneforge just gets interacted with by removal, which, you know, the format is fairly saturated with low to the ground interactive deck shells that are either Delver or trying to deep delver with cheap removal so playing your blue white deck with your win con being you know a, a creature that gets interacted with a removal or gets invalidated by a thought seize and you know then you have all of the true name nemesis which like delver having true name in their deck is fine to me because you can get an initial damage with some other creatures and you can like deal some more damage with true name and then once they answer you have lightning bolt and your whole game plan is to grind your opponent into the dirt and probably deal you know close to 15 or so damage with a true name uh that whole plan starts to get a bit more dubious in the face of cards like plague engineer and 
some people are still playing edicts, uh, which I think is because make and merely to a degree. I'm just not a fan of the the threat, like combination of the threat density and threats <clears throat> threat suite that these decks have access to. No, I I think that they're severely underpowered. I mean, that's why I basically like it's very good if you want an average matchups across the field and you don't want any kind of you know you if you kind of want to sidestep any kind of hate people are gunning for you know because some people are gloating up like the glacial or the the mentor decks that you were talking about they have um they, they're they're loading up a rest in peace in the sideboard and you're you know you're gonna dodge it with your blade deck a lot of this hate but at the same time you're not going to ever be front foot forward, which is what we've been talking about. You know, you are kind of front foot forward with the Stoneforge Mystic, but you're still, like, not really impacting till turn three. And now you're back into the Mentor deck, right? Yeah, and it's also this thing where, like, the Ren and Six decks just have, like, so many plans. They have plan A, plan B, plan C. They all fit together, right? And it's kind of the mentality that some people have regarding Dredge. Or, like, Sodek, um the modern dredge grinder once tweeted out he like he played a list that didn't have grave hate he was like i don't want to have my own grave hate i just want to answer theirs and it's kind of the the logic right like in reverse i don't want to be playing the game where i have to answer my opponent's ren and six i just want to have ren and six plus my answer for their answer and I think you get way more value from being on the Ren and Six side. I think you're. Oh man, that's the it's the Bruce Lee mentality. I don't I don't have to parry their hit if I hit them first. <laughs> like like that's just, that's just Bruce Lee, right? Like you know, why, why am I going to worry about putting my gloves up to block? I already hit them in the head, and the, <laughs> and they're having to react. So I get it. I like it. Uh, four color control was like four color control. The Jeskai mentor deck and blue red Delver were the next best performing decks, which they only each carried four piece amongst all those events. And it was the four color snow control. Um, so the Astrolabes are winning the war, yeah, amongst the control decks. I don't know about DMT. I'm kind of baffled by DMT, but maybe if if the um, four-color control decks are being held down to the same number as DMT's fine. The four, people gravitating towards the four-color deck with, um, with Astrolabe makes sense, right? Like, one of the best ways to break the, the whole synergy of Ren and Six is have basics. Because... Otherwise, if you're playing a deck with all non-basics and your opponent plays a turn two Ren and Six on the draw, that could very quickly turn into you never getting past three mana or two mana. Um, and if you have Astrolabe, you get to break that symmetry and just sidestep the Ren and Six Wasteland subgame, which often comes down to a matter of like die roll and a mix of luck. So it makes sense that people would gravitate towards that list slash or that list over the um 
what is it, the Spaka list. Uh, and another factor is just like, you know, propaganda, right? You see Edgar Magavish doing well with the four-color exit, the face-to-face -face tournaments or whatever the local tournaments he's been playing. And you see like his friends tweeting about it and all that. So... Oh, Daryl Harris too, right? Daryl Harris put up some good numbers in the team event and everything else with the same deck. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one thing that I forgot to mention about the Mentor deck is I'm surprised those shells aren't playing at least one copy of um, Seven's Reclamation because... They look like one of those decks. Yeah, when I first saw Seven's Reclamation, I started brainstorming ideas, and, like, this deck is basically what I had in mind. And they just don't have the card. And it seems weird to play a deck where your win cons are two Jason, three Monastery Mentor, and run the risk of getting run out of your win cons, as opposed to, like, having the option to buy these effects back. Um, it's, you know, Seven's Reclamation in conjunct with your Jace can buy back, or not Jace, to Teferi can buy back a Narset in response to like a Brainstorm or something, or it just keeps buying back your Mentors. I, I feel like there should at least be one copy somewhere in here, but um, maybe space is too tight. I don't know. The Magmatic Sinkholes were kind of weird to me because um, I understand that they were placing removal in for Terminus that actually interacted with the Planeswalker that are super annoying in the format for, for the miracles to deal with. Cause like, well, you need a six sorts of plowshare, right? Or you need, like, you need more removal, and that's that's basically what right. it does. But the rest in pieces, I didn't like the rest in pieces with that package. There's three rest in pieces in their sideboard, and it shuts off the three Snapcaster Mages and the Magmatic Sinkholes. Uh, and you probably and you probably want them against Rug Delver? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's what I was talking about. Just if you're jumping through this many hoops to answer um, a Ren and Six, then is it truly worth it? Like, right. like I, I guess that's where I was like, like, I think you do have space. You just have to get creative about what you do with it. Um, and as far as like the... I don't know. It's just a weird deck to me. The four-color control decks, I liked my version without Astrolabes, but I also got more room for removal, so I wasn't so conditional about having the right type of removal at the right time, where I feel like the normal Snow version, you do have to have that. And, and I'm not sure how I feel about that um, going forward. Like I don't, I've, I've set it down for now. I'm probably playing Rug Delver in Atlanta. Unless some kind of epiphany hits me from now till then, just because I think Red Delver is insane. So, yeah, it's it's just a Jun deck. It's good cards. It has good mana. Um, what more can you want? You get the chance to just outplay your opponents. Um, and I mean, Blue Red Delver did well in that same tier too. It had four decks show up, it, so it did well enough. I mean, being the fact that it met the same criteria as all the other of the decks that were second place to rugs insane 22 decks you know so you know, and then blue red delver is probably a fine deck in the format right like it's just fast smack and face and not bothering 
with Ren and Six. It might even be a good foil to Ren and Six. I don't know. Uh, I like Ed D'Amico's um, Four Stifle list. I'm usually not a fan of Stifle, but I think if you're playing Blue Red Delver, Stifle just gives you like those extra turn one plays you want and um, gives you a lot of room to just blow people out, especially since right now people will, like the most common Rug Delver list isn't playing Stifle. So people just aren't playing around it. So that's the best time to play the card when everybody's forgotten it, that it exists. Well, it's also... So, like, Rock Delver traditional was a very fast deck, right? As far as, like, it pressured you fast and consistent between the two one-drops. And uh, Blue-Red probably pressures you just as fast. So you can't really take the time to wait on your fetches, you know? <laughs> like, you got to make that fetch or die kind of thing. Because they're just pointing all the bolts at you. So, I mean, I think Stifle's probably really hot in that deck. Uh, the last couple decks that were made up the tops were the Right Black Reanimator, Ant, and Mono Red, which they're all, you know, that's when Combo finally showed up in numbers, and then the Mono Red deck is the mo- I, I think the Mono Red deck is not very good as long as Rug Delver's King. But maybe it's fine. I think the Moon Zombie deck is actually favored against the Delver shells. Um, they just have so many hands that, you know, it's it's kind of a game of just like, here's our opening hands. Does my opening hand trump yours? Okay. But the Moon Zombie deck has more potential, like, top decks that just win the game. So I, I actually like Moon Stompy. I did well with the Snake against Moon Stompy. Yeah, if you get it down under a chalice, you just dump all of your mana into it. And Yeah, I was able to like navigate a game where I basically took out the Blood Moon, allowed the chalice to come down after my snake was down, and, and because I had mono goifs. But my pain was probably better than what, it, my, what the game actually was really about. So, I don't know. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not. Um, and Merfolk, didn't Merfolk win, win an event? I won the Moto PTQ. And it top aided something else. I think it top aided the other event. It's like kind of crushing it, which is funny to me. It's the blue deck that beats other blue decks, right? So if you look at the formatting, you expect a lot of Delver, then you want to play Merfolk. Do you think it's actually good against Rug Delver if it if the pilots are equal? I just think Merfolk is naturally favored on paper. Like I don't really have much else to say about that. Like okay. Your whole deck is redundant. You have access to Chalice. You have Cavern Souls. You like just get to free cut off the the Delver player's removal and counter magic. So it just becomes a pure race, and it's hard to race when you know everything they w- walks right through you. Yeah, like you you can't block. All of their creatures just keep getting bigger. You know. I mean, I don't know. It just seems to me very strange. In it, you know, in this world, I, I think I really do think it's the tribal deck that beats like engineer because it really doesn't care about it. Um, I know like a lot of people think that's like a house of falling cards, but I don't know. I think it can actually tear through it, and it just seems really cool to me that it's doing well. Um, just because I like seeing other decks perform, but there, I don't know. You know, this whole rug delver thing. Oof, man, I mean, I'm playing it, so I can't really say anything. And what, what's your thoughts on four color Delver? Because 
you know, we've been talking about Rug, but Four Color Delver has been your baby. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of it. Um, I'm probably going to take a break here soon. Uh, finished off the primary. I've been playing a lot of the deck, and I'm just kind of getting burned out. Um, I think the deck is solid. My only worry is right now with the increase in Delver Mirrors, uh, the Black Splash is both a blessing and a curse. Um, the black cards are insanely powerful, but your mana gets a little more susceptible wasteland, which is an issue. Um, I don't know. I, I'm still trying to figure out where I sit on it. Uh, Four Color Delver did do well in the challenge. Uh, I'm inclined to believe that it's just a fine deck that you can play. I'm not sure if it's busted. Like you have the tools to beat everything in your average card. Uh, cards like power level is pretty high, uh, and that's basically it. Like you're you're just the actual ponder jund. Um, I've been toying around with various configurations, uh, like twenty lands spell snare. Uh, like, I, I tried 20 lands because I wanted to have those extra land drops in the Delver Mirrors, and I found I was flooding, but I feel like 19 lands, 10 cantrips, just leaves you prone to, like, spinning your wheels a bit too much. I tried 19 lands, uh, 9 cantrips, just one preordain, and then having a spell snare, and I think I'm 2-1 in the league with that list right now, um, and it feels fine. I, I don't know, like, going into this weekend... I would either, like, if I was actively testing for this weekend, I'd probably spend a little more time testing the 20 land list to get a better feel for it. Someone in the challenge did well with uh, the Fiery Islet, and I wasn't the biggest fan of that card uh, because I felt like one non-island was acceptable in the form of Badlands, but past that, it, like having non-fetchable colored sources is a bit greedy, but obviously the Islet's insane in conjunction with Ran 6. Um, yeah, that's what I was And also be looking at maybe playing a fourth copy of Ren and 6 and trying to figure out the deck from there. Like, I, I like Dermag Angler, I just haven't been insane on it, but I'm not sure what other threats I would want to run. Like, I guess I could go down to one Gurmag, that's fine, and just go up to four Ren and six. Um, I don't know if I want to try, like, the third true name, but, like, three true name, four Goyf, um, four Delver feels like one creature threat too low. Or, well, it's, I guess it's the same number of creature threats, but it feels, like, um, too homogenous and... You know, on the draw, if I ever daze, I'm not really getting those true that, that was my issue with Noah Walker's third true name. Like, I, because I was two lands a lot if I didn't. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'll probably tinker a bit with it. I'm helping a few people prep for the GP. Uh, so, I'll be mulling over these things as things lead up to this weekend, but. Uh, once this primer is finished, I kind of just want to take a break from the deck, uh, explore some other things. Uh, I have some ideas for some other content that I want to delve into and uh, some article ideas that I want to get into. But we'll need to devote some time to playing some other decks. 
And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I do like the versatility that four color provides over rug. I do feel like my, my combo matchups I've played with rug so far. I've had to uh, be very ginger about my com- my counter magic usage. And I have, I've had to be careful. And then I've also had a clock. Like a lot of times, like I've just had to take a clock piece sometimes and leave the next counter piece on top of my deck because it, I just needed to take them to the turn away from them to sculpt out of it. And I feel like Four Color Delver probably provides some more agency in your decisions in that because of the thought seasons and stuff. A little bit. Um, where I've been generally just kind of tired is uh, managing the mana base can become a pain after a while. And sometimes you just have to like preemptively fetch certain lands or like you have to do the chop bad lands where sometimes you'd rather go like chop Valk Badlands. Um they're not Badlands Underground Sea. So it depends. And like in the combo matchups you don't really want to be incentivized to get to three mana, but you don't want to cut yourself off of lines like ponder and then be able to hold off spell pierce. So it kind of creates a, a natural tension. Um which is like I've been considering playing a bit of uh, rug delver, mostly just because I kind of want a little more simplicity and just a bit of a break. Um, like one thing, sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I was going to say I do actually think the nature of rug delver—you are throwing your spells down. I think a lot faster than four color. This four four color has a little more reactive spells in it. And it's and it's and it eats up your mana a lot more too. Yeah, you have the like abrupt decays. So you like you have you have like the same density of reactive spells per se, but the rug list gets to play force negations and you just get more free counter magic, which which really changes your play pattern. So um I think four color delver is fine. The abrupt decays lately have been just okay. They haven't been terrible, but they've been, like, okay. And Gurmag Angler has been, you know, just okay as well. Um, if it were plausible to just, like, play Rug Delver with a slight Black Splash, maybe facilitated by, like, an Underground Seed and the sideboard, I would consider just You're reading like, my thoughts, buddy. You're reading my thoughts. I was going to talk to you about this on the cast. You stole it from me. My thunder, I didn't even put it in the show notes. <laughs> it's not <laughs> even fair. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can, you don't necessarily need Thoughtseize. Tyrant Scorn is decent, but like a lot of these depth decks are playing Wastelands, so you can go with the other options, the crop rotations and all that. Um, but where, like, the Black Splash is really nice as Plague Engineer. Um, and I feel like the deck did lose a bit of equity with a lot of people moving, either moving away from decks that just auto-lose to Plague Engineer or finding ways to mitigate it. But maybe maybe that's just not the case. Like, maybe that's just my experience in the last few leagues I've played. But I don't know. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about, like, running a Thoughtseize. Uh, package like basically the black cards out of the sideboard with none of the black cards from the main deck because I, I have not missed nor once abrupt decay. I don't think your Angler is needed with Goyf in the deck. Um, but I've really wanted 
the thought seizes, the tyrant scorn, and the plague engineers. And I was going to, you know, that was like my surprise. I was going to go, what do you think about like one underground sea to try to do this? I'll, uh, I can't remember who, someone did it before. Someone did this before. It might have been Eric Rill, but it was someone. Just like, yeah, you had it a lot easier if his was facilitated by Deathrite Shaman. Um, like I said, I was thinking about the same idea. It's just a matter of space. Um, like when you look at these rugged over sideboards, it's like two to three answers for Chalice, right? Which like four color gets to cheat and just play a singular abrupt decay in the sideboard because you have the or singular ancient grudge in the sideboard because you have the abrupt decays. So like when you cut those, you have to like allocate those slots to the sideboard. And then you have like your combo hate, and then you have your Jace or whatever. So a lot of these rug decks can only really devote one slot to a sweeper if they devote like even that one slot. So I just don't think you can do it from a space, like on a space aspect. Oh, it's the busiest sideboard I've ever played with in my entire life. It is so busy. <laughs> like every card is like needed. <laughs> right, exactly. So, like, I haven't really touched my sideboard for four color, and like the tweaks I've been making have just been like land and cantrip counts. And I don't think the deck is bad. Like, I think if you are playing a deck that has a proactive game plan and Renin Six, you're gonna do fine. And the four color deck just has a lot of really good cards. Like having a Brutkay is nice against opposing Tarmogoyfs and all these Knight of the Reliquaries popping up. But um. I do wonder, like, I can turn the Gurmag into a Renin 6, and then I could potentially turn the other Gurmag into, like, a Hex Shrinker or something. I'm not sure. In that way, it just, like, streamlines the game one mana a bit. You lose the huge threat of Gurmag coming down, which is relevant in a lot of the Wasteland matchups. But, um... But you have four Renin 6 to mitigate that too right right so maybe that's something to explore um i don't know if i'm gonna do it before the gp i've i've severely disliked my rug delver sideboard just because of the fact that all my cards are needed like there's no room to wiggle at all i mean i i'm personally fine with that like i look at some of these sideboards and there's a couple things i would change but like i'm totally fine like that's just the that's the cost of the format right now. Like everything is so homogenous that if you look at Rug Delver and twelve of your sideboard slots are just auto locked in, if not more. Yep. And oh, I would say, and it's just like yeah. it's more just like the numbers. You need at least two grave hate. You need at least like two ish additional counter spells. You need, and we're cheating on grave hate, right? Because of Force and Negations, we're cheating. Right, like, Force and Negation lets you cheat on Grave Hate, uh, for better or worse. There are times where you're going to get punished for that. And then, you know, you also have, like, your two to three slots in your sideboard dedicated to answering Merit Lage. That's just the construction of sideboard. And that's actually three to four. That's three to yeah, four. Yeah, three to four. Right now. Because Caracas, because Caracas, Vapor Snag, and Crop Rot are standard. And then, like, Walker played a submerge. Like, you know, so, like, it's three to four. Then they have three to four blast effects, depending on how liberal they are with their blasts. Two surgicals, three to four um, 
or two artifact destruction spells, and then like Walker, like there's usually two flex spots. Thirteen's locked up. Like he decided for a magmatic sinkhole and a four and a yeah. He's not playing sweepers because like he has four red and six. That card is a sweeper, and um, I really like the dismember and magmatic sinkhole a lot. I don't know about the dismember. I like the sinkhole. I don't know about the dismember. I guess it's good in the mirror. I think having like being able to board in a slew of answers of card of cards that answer Tarmogoyf is huge. Um, like you need to be able to kill that card fast, otherwise it just becomes huge in the mirror, and you end up in a spot where you're just staring down goyfs and ha- like your opponent. The first goyfs are usually like three fours or four fives, and being able to just point and click kill that ASAP is important to me. So I actually really like Noah's sideboard. Um, Only two artifact destruction spells. I guess I think that's I think that's fine. My only issue is that I don't think he was playing enchantment removal. I was gonna say he's got nothing for enchantments. (laughs) (laughs) He's got counter spells. I think not having at least one answer for rest in peace is a liability. Um, Even an EE, right? Like you'd like to see an EE. Mm, he's mana intensive and you don't want to put that card on too. Like a braid is great inflexible, but I would probably turn that into a return to nature just so that I can kill you know yeah be, like just being able to have that out for rest like the four color deck just has abrupt decay so like you know, like I said, you just get to cheat on a lot of slots because the deck just has access to this catch-all. I don't think he needs dismember for Goyf with when you have submerge, because his submerge is only going to be good against Goyf decks. Yeah, I, I like I said. I think you want three answers, like to Goyf. Yeah, like I mean, two is probably the minimum, but I think the dismember, like it's just good against all of the creature decks. You're you're never like unhappy to have that card within, like, a reasonable window of the game. Obviously, it's bad if you're, like, racing or whatever, but, like, it's, like, Dismember isn't an insane card, but it's a card that you put in your deck for a reason, and it always does that thing that you want, and you're just like, this was, it did the thing I want, like, I'm happy with that. It's like... This sideboard is not, I mean, with Jay Snag, everything, like, this is, like, the fairest sideboard I've ever seen. There's nothing for combo. He just yeah, combo with his charming personality. Well, he has more stack-based interaction in the main deck than other people, right? He has one more in the main, so he gets to cheat a bit. Um, other players have like two, two to three additional counter spells on the sideboard, but since he has allocated those slots to the main a bit, he gets to get away with it. Um, I guess. He's got one less Arcanist, though. So, And one more true name. Plus one more Ren and Six. So his deck is like, his deck is just skewed to kill fair deck. Which I think is fine, basically. right? Basically. <clears throat> like, no, no, definitely. With, with what we just talked about in a rundown. Paper yeah. Legacy tournaments tend to be overwhelmingly like, they tend to be overwhelmingly fair in terms of metagame. And having a deck that's slanted more towards the fair as opposed to um, 
you know, leaning in on beating the combo decks because you're just going to play against more of the fair decks than the combo decks by nature. Well, with this talk of fair combo decks, what happened to the fairest combo deck of them all? Depth. The darling destroying legacy and we were even talking about the merits of reclaimer and how it's pulled it from the depths to smack us off. yeah um i mean a couple weeks ago we were talking about how maybe i we talked so much i can't remember some of the stuff that was on cast or off cast or if i tweeted this out um but i had the question that like by the time atlanta rolls around will depth still be like a deck that people are going to like need to play or like or like well people have adapted right with how fast the legacy metagame has been moving and how player the player base has been identifying the key players um we've seen a lot of decks fall in and out of favor and i think depths is definitely sorry one sorry of including decks. including depths right before niagara right um like his, yeah, Niagara GP Niagara wasn't that like wrecking tournaments. Bob Huang was talking about how he destroyed Legacy again, and then and then it went away. Yeah, and Bob yeah. top sixteen in that GP. I mean, Depth had exactly the representation. Like, it had a few good players in top sixteen to thirty-two, um, but like this is a different dynamic where like for Niagara. People were just like, oh, Stoneblade's a thing, but like when your meta is like when Stoneblade is the driving force of your metagame, it's just like play whatever you want as long as you plan to beat like a two a one-two, right? And right now we have a similar effect with Delver, but Delver is just like a much more aggressive deck in terms of forcing you into play patterns. And like behind Delver, people were identifying that Depths was a good deck. And they started packing hate. We just talked about how people are playing three to four hate cards in your sideboard for decks. And that includes like multiple copies of Caracas and Vapor Snag and like all of these other things. And I think a lot of players are putting the squeeze on depths. And we're seeing like these various other shells. Like we're seeing the deck that King um, Reinhardt made, uh, which Casey Lancaster and Abe Corgan and a couple other guys were working on. And they call it Shrek the Musical. And it's just like, green, white, red lands. It's just like, it's Agrolum without the Black Splash and without Chalice, more or less. Yeah, that's the Nihilum, right? That's what Star City has it described as. It is. Yeah, you just, like, you just do your thing. And um, we're seeing, like, the Tagoras green-white depths picking up steam. And... I don't know. I like I randomly streamed last week, and I talked about the construction of you know Shrek the Musical and Michael Coyle's um, combo Karn Mystic Forge deck, and just how in the Just Guy Mentor deck and discussed the whole dynamic of people not really knowing what's going on with those decks, and I think they're good in the short term while people are still adapting to them, but I question how well they work in the long term, right? Like, the the Nia Long deck is very easy to misplay against if you don't know what's going on, but it's also just a deck that you can aggro out. 
they can have some disjointed draws and you know it's still still like playing against lands but you just have to live with the fact that your time goes can't plow the the coil or susurus mtg uh combo deck seems scary at face value but then you realize like that deck can't win without karn so if you have a way to mitigate karn even if that's like thoughtsy surgical unless they board it in uh walking ballister some thought not seers they usually just have to concede or you know there's there's a lot of decks that are being built on this scale of like being more akin to a modern deck and uh what i mean by that is like modern decks have a lot of cards of varying power so you have a deck like you have a lot of decks named after cards. It's like Scapeship, Urza, uh, whatever, right? Tron, um, or Urza Tron, whatever, right? And it's just like here are these cards that are like a, a significantly higher value than everything else in my deck. Whereas classical or like traditional legacy decks are often a bunch of cards of relatively even power level. Um, held together by cantrips or some sort of draw engine, and then the impact of a particular card is variable based on the game state and not necessarily the intrinsic power of that card itself. And um, I'm curious to see how things pan out with like more and more people building decks using these more modern sensibilities, because uh, I'm not sure if they're better or worse, but my concern is you know, when you build your deck to very much hinge around a few cards, you open yourself up to being exploited in certain ways. And um, I think that can very much be the case. They're linear decks. They're very linear decks. That's the problem. That's why they're named after a card. They're super linear. You know, like, and that, and that's the, the Mystic Forge deck is the most linear thing ever. I don't even like calling it the Mystic Forge deck. I call it the Mystic Karn deck because it's really Karn. Karn's the card, you know. It's a it, it's a naming misconvention that we call it the Mystic Forge because it's the newest. Kid yeah, it's called Forge combo because like the Forge. It's like uh, Ant being called like ad nauseum tendrils. It's just like a misnomer based on one of the decks engines where like you know Ant kills with pass and flames more than it does ad nauseum and Tess is the better ad nauseum deck um, by a wide margin. Oh, Phoenix decks. Phoenix decks were always called Phoenix decks when they were really thing in the ice decks that could kill you with Phoenix. Yeah, in modern. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's what I'm talking about. But, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what happens with those decks. I Going into this weekend, like, Shrek the Musical seems fine to me, Green White Death seems fine to me, but I don't like the, the Mystic Forge deck. Um, I've played against it a few times, and I've watched Coil stream it a lot. And what I see is a lot of hands that aren't completely functional. Um, the deck has 16 lands. Four of your lands are legendary. Eight of your lands are functionally one-time use uh, in terms of, like, Crystal Vein and City of Traders. Like, a lot of your mana base just implodes. And then you're leaning really hard in on Monolith effects. But the monoliths don't untap, so you need to put the key in your deck to untap them. But 
our paradox engine you're one of <laughs> sure like the paradox engine lets you go infinite <laughs> but like the key enables your like most consistent plan but you're still a deck that's trying to put chalice on one in the dark it like i've seen the deck get chaliced out like chalice itself out a few times and i don't know i feel like there's just some consistency issues in terms of what it's doing and a couple bad mulligans will kill you. I think a Delver opponent with a reasonable hand will kill you. Like, I don't want to. I don't want a combo deck where like random six plus wasteland means that my deck doesn't function. And are you gonna say me? You're gonna say me? My grandma with her walker is gonna kill you. Like you were getting pretty far there. Like a Delver with just a reasonable hand. No, it's like like Delver as a deck is just trying to attack its opponent's resources. When your opponent's game plan is like turn one, here's my Chalice of the Void off of my land that dies, and you're just like, well, I have a Tarmogoy for a run in six in hand, so I guess I'll let this resolve. And then like they go, all right, here's my next land, sack my first land, play my four drop, and you're just like, okay, well, daze that. Um, like your opponent just kind of like the deck dies. Like I, you know, we're seeing more null rods, and we're seeing a lot of artifact hate. Like the the deck, like, I don't I don't even know why people are playing three artifact hate effects. It's not really warranted, but people just are. And I think it's in part because of this deck, and it's I think it's similar to the dredge effect, where it's probably better to play this deck when people don't have it at the forefront of their minds. But, like, when people do, it's just like, I, I feel like you're opening yourself up to just so much going wrong and everybody's scared of being chaliced i think that's why all the hate is the chalice it's just chalice everybody's scared of chalice yeah from horsey loam from mono red from drazi from whatever they just don't want to be chaliced yeah i you know bomberman even bomberman chalices you right right they're, and they're scared of chalice exactly <laughs> like i don't know i just feel like the 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 forge deck is too prone to imploding and like it has a lot of cards that look like they matter and if your opponent doesn't react to them then you just lose to them stopping your cards that do matter yeah. i mean I, I definitely think the deck is too linear i watched jarvis play it jarvis did well with it but jarvis is a good player and people didn't know what they were doing like i just don't know and it can't beat an opposing card I mean, that's just, to me, like, insanity. Like, Which, where are, like, the Eldrazi decks? And, I mean, Moonstompy's been prevalent. I haven't seen much Eldrazi or, like, Karn post. Maybe that's because of Renin 6. Like, I was going to say, Crucible on 2. <laughs> yeah. Like, the Eldrazi-Delver matchup, I always felt fine playing with Delver, because if you get a clock and then if you wasteland them, like, you get a clock and play, you wasteland them like once, you daze their four drop, and they kind of just don't do anything. But what about if you wasteland the rest of the game? <laughs> then they just actually don't do anything. So maybe maybe that's why Moon Stompy is like the only like super common chalice prison style deck right now. We're getting a little long-winded on this, some of this stuff, but this Nia Loam deck, man, I'm looking at it, and you you used to you used to be a Loam Palace boy, right? Like that was your your thing. You liked that punishing fire, dark confident Liliana people back in the day. So the the numbers on this, 
I'm looking at uh, Kane Reinhardt's. Yeah, so Abe Corgan posted the first list on Twitter forever ago. I feel like this deck is still trying to figure out its numbers. Because um, I, I want some, I want four reclaimers. Four, not not one, not two, not three and a half. I want four reclaimers, and I can easily cut some crop rots and life from the loams from my Ren and Six reclaimer deck to see, do it. The thing is, like, you need the loams. Like, you know how lands players are split on playing Ren and Six or not. Like, some players are playing two. You Kevin King playing zero. He just didn't. He didn't like the card, and in our group chat, he just said, um, like, I think he said something about it not playing well with, like, land. I don't want to misquote him. Um, I can see it not playing well with life. Because you're turning life from the low and to predict, and that's terrible. Randy asked him, do you not like Brand? And Kevin said, no, I think one land and one damage aren't useful to our strategies, and we should never cut Gamble. Some redundant loam effect in the 75 is good for surgical, but right now I'm focused on beating Ren. Um, and I think that's reasonable. Like, Yes, Rin is very powerful in turn two, even in lands, per se. But it's just like a redundancy, right? It's it's like Punishing Fire. It, sure, it can combo with Punishing Fire, but you aren't enthused to do that. And, you know, the card doesn't let you abuse exploration and the like. Um, it's just a card that's there because it's like really obnoxious, I guess. But this this strategy is not the same. It's got creatures and board presence, so and uh, and, and it's got the mox diamonds to make that run in six turn one. I mean, playing your knight of the reliquary in the main deck is like the equivalent of taking lands and putting um, tireless track in the main deck, right? It's like you're still ultimately just like the same deck. You've just decided to put a different like pre board configuration, if that makes sense, like. Like you're you're pre-boarding your your land spec against like the Delver decks because Knight and Knight of the Reliquaries and Elvish Reclaimer are going to be really good, right? But you still have to hedge for other things inside boarding. So yeah. I guess I don't consider this a land deck because it only has like four wasteland effects and no other effects, no ports, no ghost quarters. It's just four wasteland. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on with the deck. I do consider it a land deck. I consider it lands plus Knight of the Reliquary as opposed to, like, Maverick plus land stuff. I think I consider it lands, Maverick plus lands. But I, I can see, like, I I don't know. I don't know what the attraction to the deck is because I feel like it's worse than four-color loam in the combo matchups. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're punting your combo matchups and you're probably just accepting that. Um, Swords to Plowshares is a good catch-all, and it breaks these, like, Merit Laser Mirrors, and so does Knight of the Reliquary. Like, Knight of the Reliquary is a really good card against Delver and Depths and any Life from Loam strategy or whatever. But the issue is, like, Maverick is the most prevalent Knight of the Reliquary shell, and everything else in Maverick dies to Ren and Six, so your opponent just always gets to have the Forcible or the answer or rough decay or whatever for your knight of the reliquary so you just build a different deck that still gets to utilize like the power of knight and i think that's what this is it's just identifying knight of the reliquary is really good ren and six is a really good card swords of plowshares is like probably one of the better cards that you can have well is one of the best cards if not the best card that you can have access to in white 
And it's just like, what if we cast all of these a turn ahead? I do like that. And I mean, like I said, like there's like multiple parts that make me not think it's lands. Like it's only got one dark depths and only two stages. And that reminds me more of the Maverick packages than, you know, anything else. Like between that and no ports and everything else, it reminds me of Maverick. You know? It reminds me more of just like classic control lands. Oh man, the garden, right? Eternal garden. Yeah, where you yeah. just like ground your opponent into oblivion. Like you don't, like I was talking to Casey about the deck before the open. He's just like, most of my kills are with Field of the Dead. Yeah. Just grinding people out. And, you know, I brought up my concern to him about people like maybe learning how to play against this deck and all that. And he was like, yeah, I've played a lot of matches where people just accidentally kill themselves. And again, like I said, <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's, um, a, that's, that's a different path. Like, the deck is a known quantity now. Before, it was just like, you knew about the deck if you followed random people on Twitter, slash, you know, were in enough of the circles, right? And if you were someone who didn't know about this deck, which is, like, going to be a large percentage of people going to legacy tournaments, because, you know, those aren't necessarily the circles that they pay attention to, really. There's a lot of people who just play Legacy periodically and aren't, you know, in the trenches per se. You're not going to know what's going on when your opponent goes, like, Exploration, and you're just like, oh, I guess I'll force all that, because Exploration is really good. And then they play, like, Renin Six, and they're like, oh, damn, I have to abrupt decay that. And then they play Knight of the Reliquary, and you're like, wait, what? Right? Like, you get to subvert people's expectations and a lot of legacy players will play matches based on learned play patterns as opposed to having to like figure things out on the fly. And that's like a blessing and a curse because having the extra reps in a matchup allows you to really know how to attack them. Whereas like the downside is um, if you hit something that you aren't used to, you probably had fewer reps at least in recent memory of having to figure out what's going on on the fly and figure out what matters. So you're more like more likely to just make mistakes. I mean, this guy, this deck list is definitely getting some free passes in sideboarding, especially if the play pattern goes, as you suggest, where the knight comes down and they concede the game and they bring their surgicals in for punishing fire and dark depths. And then there's oh, only wait, one what? dark depths and no punishing fires. Like, people may, like, board in Surgical for Life from the Loan. It's like, right. well, you have three Run and Six as well, and you have right. Night of the Road, You don't need Life from the Loan. I mean, this deck doesn't lose a Surgical. Like, no, not at all. Surgical is, like, terrible here. Like, you maybe want to have one, because the deck does still use Life from the Loan, and, like, you know, permanently getting rid of a Blast Zone or uh, Dark Depths, or, like, even just the Wastelands is reasonable, but it's not, like, being this deck isn't the same as playing against classic lands. Right. There, there is a difference. Yeah. I mean, the in the cavern in the sideboard, that's like a, a odd dedication to your knight package. The yeah, I played against I played against Abe Corrigan, and he played knight, or cavern for knight, and played knight rock against me, and I was like, oh, that's really annoying. Is there any combo decks that you would actually consider? I like Ant. I think I like Ant a lot. I mean, I don't think the test, the like storm decks are bad. Like test is fine as well. Um, 
I haven't been that big on Sneak and Show lately, because, like, more Delver, more Red and Six, more Red Blast, more Blue Blast, more cheap interaction, you know, that's kind of what the format is turning towards, like, Delver being the best deck forces people to play on more efficient margins, and... Oh, and people, people put your Besages up. Put your Besages right. up. Like, everybody's <laughs> playing Wasteland, like, Sneak and Show is a deck that, Sneak and Show is like Burn in that it really preys on, like, these slower decks, um, or, like, these heavy removal decks, but when your opponent's deck is just, like, this 50-50 split of stack and creature interaction, or, well, not even 50-50, like, Legacy decks tend to cheat on creature interaction and have more stack-based interaction. Um, then you're gonna get punished. Yeah, I played a pick up pickup game against a, a Eureka Tell or Eureka whatever the the list from JPA, and they played a Basaju, and I just tagged it. And they were like, "You had the wasteland." I'm like, "Man, this is wasteland tribal out here in the in the real world. I don't know where you've been at, but <laughs> it is wasteland tribal. That Basaju is ambitious, to say the least." Yeah, like, other than Sneak and Show, I guess there's, like, Red-Black Reanimator, which is probably powerful enough right now. I think Red-Black's okay. I'm just, I, I'm kind of be a little leery of all the Force of Negations and stuff flying around. I feel like the people who play Red-Black are just the people who are always going to play Red-Black, and, like... That's just kind of how it is. You may have a couple people audible to it, but I feel like right now, uh, not many people will. But, you know, I could be wrong on that. But it always feels like Red Black is just one of those decks where it's. You have to really. Most of the people who play it really just like that deck. They like grizzle people on turn one and feel good about themselves. They feel smart. <laughs> I put a grizzle brand on turn one. Which is secretly the most powerful thing to do in that. So, or not even yeah. secretly, but it's the real, it's the most powerful thing. <laughs> I mean, people like to meme on other players for playing, like, quote-unquote, more simplistic decks, but, like, being able to play a tournament and get the same win rate as someone else, or a better win rate, and not be mentally exhausted after, like, round five is huge. And we've seen, like, Huey Jensen opt to play Sneak and Show at Legacy events for that very reason. Like, there's an edge in deck selection and not playing the most, like, convoluted and complex deck. You don't have to study um, the format if you just play Grizzle Brand on turn one. <laughs> like, you don't care, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think you do with Black Red Reanimator. You have to understand what you're playing around. I mean, I, I think you do with Sneak and Show as well. Like, I know you've played Sneak, but I don't think you're, like, factoring in how long you've played Legacy and how it's second nature at this point. So, like, there's a lot of things going on that you're not thinking about because it's, you've, you know, it's it's stuff you've already processed. But Well, I was going along with the statement where you made that you don't have to mentally tax yourself because you just can go for this big, powerful thing. Yeah, you're, like, playing a deck that rewards you more for making the correct macro decisions instead of, like, having to make the correct macro decision and then also like constantly be on the lookout for these micro plays. Yeah. Also, you don't have to like, you know, we're talking about red and six gaining card advantage and everything else. Crystal brain just, he gives it to you. You got it. It's yours. <laughs> like, yeah. Cards busted. Yeah. Like, 
I don't think anybody wants that card legal, but it is. Yeah, so. I kind of, I hate it, but it's fine. We're, we're not going to get rid of it now. You know, uh, I wouldn't play any Blade decks at GP Atlanta, would you? Would you play Blade? I mean, I'm not touching Blade. I, I mean, that's just like kind of a non-question because I basically just never play Blade. Um, even when it was like the quote-unquote best, I still just didn't play Blade because I don't like playing Blade. Like when Blade is actually good, I generally prefer to just play Miracle. Um, I mean, I think Tundra right now is. Ugh. I mean, I still. I know we've hated on Tundra for several weeks and for several episodes, but I'm still like not sure. Even with Terminus versus Sinkhole, I'm just not. I don't. There's nothing for me from blue white playing the blue white color pie. There's nothing for me right now. They need to print me a card. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, those decks are missing like relevant turn one into interaction and or not interaction, but proactive plays and like white is known for that, but blue is not in conjunction with white known for that. So. I mean, I don't. I think you'd have to print something like potentially color pie breaking, or just like needlessly push for that to happen. And you know, I don't see that happening at least with Renin Six on the or happening right now. I think uh, if Renin Six gets banned or whatever, then uh, the Tundra decks definitely get a bit more palatable. But then. Like still playing them becomes miserable because then you're just playing Narset mirrors or like Teferi mirrors, and you're just playing these games of like, here's this three mana card that invalidates what your deck does, uh, and it's less. You may not like playing in Sneak and Show, but this is going to be way less fun than playing in Sneak and Show because at least like Sneak and Show you die immediately. But like, <laughs> if your opponent plays a Tezzeret, or not, not if your opponent plays a. Um, to fairy, then like you're not dead. You gotta like play your Snapcaster <laughs> and attack or something. But like it's just a miserable experience. So Grizzlebrand is the hero we deserve. He he saves us from garbage time. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely saving us from garbage time. I mean, I do, I do like the idea. I don't know. I, I don't want Ren and Six gone because I feel like I do. Like I don't like the way the decks are going, but. I don't know. Like, to, Grix's control becomes very palatable, and I think it's actually had, like, had a lot of upgrades with some of these cards, like Nerdset and Ingress Rampage, and even, like, you know, I think I think it's actually playable if you couldn't play Ren and Six. But with Ren and Six, nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to play Grixis when I can play my, my Taiga Planeswalker. Um... Uh, I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want to try to guess uh, the top eight of GP Atlanta? Not really. Like, like podcasts always do this, and it's just like there's probably just an algorithm for this, and it's like here's two decks that are going to top eight based on hype slash just population density of people playing them. Here's going to be like 
one to two people who were going to top eight with deck they played that's out of left field and it's like food chain top eight because it's guy who always plays food chain and then there's just going to be a stack of other decks that are just reasonable like it's a legacy gp like day one is going to be primarily populated with people who play the deck that they want to play because that's like the spirit of legacy or whatever like they just want to play the deck that they identify with and then like there may be a defined winners metagame for day two but realistically at the end of the elimination rounds unless like a deck is truly truly destroying the format you're only going to see a couple copies in the top eight except for the legacy classic that legacy classic was just delver <laughs> the top eight was definitely delver it was like four delver decks or something right oh yeah Oh yeah, it was it was uh five or four. It was some crazy number. Let's see here. Uh, Delver, 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 Delver. Yeah, first through sixth place are all Delver decks, and then the last two slots are four color control and Omni Show, and then immediately in ninth place you have Delver again. So, like, that's the thing. I can say Delver will top eight Atlanta, which is like probable, just because a bunch of people will play it. It's just a saturation factor. And I uh, think Delver isn't more. I'm more concerned. Like I'm gonna, I'm putting in the show notes here. I'm calling out twelve red and six top eight. Twelve. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very happy with that. Well, I'm trying to give some hope. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I first went, my first number was 16. <laughs> 16 is the base, like, let's see, for John or only played three. Right? Yeah, most people are playing three. I guess some, I guess some, most people are playing three. Sure, I guess 12 is a more accurate, and like, way to look at it. I mean, that's still very upsetting, but yeah, I'm gonna, I think that if all the top eight predictions, I don't want to guess decks, I want to guess. We're gonna have red and six in half the decks. <laughs> you're gonna start seeing red and six in death rate drawing numbers, is what you're yeah. saying, right? Well, and I don't. It's correct. If if the metagame is gonna be where it's at right now, it's actually correct. So you're gonna play Red Delver, just locking that in. Yep. Yeah, I'm locked in. I'm not. I keep skipping around, but I'm really not. I'm not gonna play. I tried the four card control deck. It's got really really bad top decks. Like I can balance, I can balance it. I can outplay my opponent, but I can't outplay the top of their deck. And if I draw wrong and they draw yeah. right, I lose. Where I have not felt that with red. With Four card control deck. also has bad matchups, and like Delver has matchups that are quote unquote bad. Um, but like Tan and Grace reminded me of a Mike Twice Tyson quote that like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, and that's just Delver secrets, like. You're like, oh, this matchup sucks, and you're like, oh, I flipped over and killed my opponent. That's just the deck. No, I definitely... It's just... It's very aggressive. Like, there, there's some fine-tuning that I need to go over the next three days, or two days, whatever it is, before I have to lock my deck list in online, because that's what you have to do now, but I have to, like, figure out, like, if I want two snakes or just one, or if I want this or that, and that's that's what I'm going to be working on pretty much as far as number-wise, you know. 
Um, a lot of the snake stuff has to do with me as it's like, it's kind of like your sideboarding philosophy that I've really, I really take a lot of like thought and it's really good, solid material as in like you're simplifying your colors and, and the snake simplifies your colors of mana to the, to the most extreme degree. So, yeah, like, like I said, um, like the four color deck is good, but you can make up, you can make mistakes and like mana sequencing and you get, like if you're tired and playing, there's a lot of opportunities to get punished and just going to three trough, three volcanic island and a fiery island makes sequencing a lot easier and it gives you fewer situations where you can make a mistake. So I think that like obviously the four color deck gives you an update or like an upgrade on power. Um, but you have to be prepared to like constantly play well. And uh, in a GP setting, you get rewarded for playing decks that allow you to like make mistakes and move on, you know? Yeah. I, I, I have to think about it. Like I said, I was also considering like a waterlogged grove over Fiery Highlight for the simple fact that if your deck's got like the green stuff and you can, in your green removal for enchantments, like Return to Nature, like is it more correct to play waterlogged grove? I don't know. You know, if you've got less red spells in your deck overall, like what could you be playing the waterlogged grove, the blue green? Uh, I think game one, you have more red spells, right? Four bolt, maybe Arcanus, Ren and Six, and then... Um, red and Six is a wash, right? They're both green. Sure. It's red and green. So you, you have four so bolts just Arcanus like, versus like four Goyf. And one Ren and And one Sure. Um, so if I go up to second snake, I'm actually... I think it's probably a matter of like having to look at not just like your game one presentation but also like sideboard mapping your deck <clears throat> and then seeing what Wait, your spell density what, is like post that's what board. i was talking about and i think um like in all the fair matchups where lightning bolt matters you're gonna want the extra red source and i guess like in all the matchups where <clears throat> i guess the combo matchups or whatever you're gonna naturally want a green source more for threats that i don't even know if that's true like I'm inclined to just want the blue-red source uh, because your deck is primarily just blue-red base with, like, a green splash. I don't know. It's a, it's a different thing. Like, I, it's something it's something I'm thinking about. Like, it's like, you know, I really like the idea of Return to Nature coming off that land. So Yeah, it's definitely something to think about. And if you, like, want to hedge against Choke, right? Like, having the Waterlog Grove um, is definitely an upside in that regard. Uh, also, right, yeah, that's that's a big one. Also, for me, it's a lot of times the the Horizon Canopy Land is in your yard. If that makes sense, like it's actually like able to be gotten at a moment's notice, and you have, and I've never needed one red very often, but one green sometimes I've needed. If that makes sense. I think it's because I have four spells on my main deck that are green colorless, but only two that are red colorless. Is why it kept coming up. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I'm not really sure where, like, how I feel at the end of this all. Like, it, it's 
probably a marginal difference and your like how you get rewarded or punished for it is going to be more a matter of matchup lottery than um, some sort of in-depth deck building philosophy uh, because either like there are arguments that are equally as valid for either direction of like going about this. Well, I definitely agree with that. Um, so, any rumblings from the oh, new set? Oh man, I tell you what, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> ever gonna flood in in this standard, right? Of who it was? No, Jacob Negro, I believe, or I, I can't remember his name exactly. Um, he said he tweeted out that people should be playing more lands in their decks because with like the whole uh, adventure plus like creature split, like all of your spells do two things, um, and you just always have flood protection. I know uh, Felix Slew. Uh, tweeted out a deck list and it was just like he tweeted out one of the like MTG goldfish layouts of the deck where it just shows like the blocks of cards but it's not curved or anything and I was having trouble like processing the deck list because every card did two things and I wasn't able to look at a relative like curve in terms of mana cost to get an idea of like when the cards would be coming into effect so I just can't understand. Like, between the ham-fisted devotion, like, they're just laying devotion into the set for the Theros block. You know, between the, uh, I don't remember, adamant or whatever mechanic it is, where if you spend, like, three of a color in the spell, then it's more powerful. They're like a, it'll be like a white and two colorless. And if you spend three white, it's a better spell. And then there's the triple white, triple blue, triple red characters, and then there's these artifacts at Mythic level with like three different, or three of the same things in it, and it's just like, man, this is ham-fisted like devotion, 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 devotion. I really need them to troll us and have no devotion in the Theros box. Yeah, I could see it. Um, Yeah. Also, we had the knights, right? Like the knights in the last set. Yeah, but having a knight something in your like fairy tale set is fine to me. Um, oh, I meant I meant the fact that they were triple triple color in the M twenty in the core set twenty set. There's these triple colored knights. The, they were the they were the newest cycle of trying to make fixed titans. You know, uh, th- there's there's these series of knights, and they're all like triple blue, triple red, triple white. The Cavaliers, that's what they're called. Cavalier cycle. And they were... Which, it's just like such... Diff- and, and then the fairy tales themselves, how ridiculous are they with Teferi? Like, everybody hates Teferi right now, and boy, you hate Teferi right now. Let me tell you so what. So it's a double-edged sword, right? <laughs> like, you have all these creatures that are also spells, and like, Right now, standard is back in the reflector major to fairy test. Where like, if your creature doesn't produce value when it enters the battlefield, then it's not good enough. But now we're in a situation where if you're playing to fairy, you aren't going to want to bounce your opponent's creatures because they become arguably better spells. Um, 
Right. Unless they are your own creatures that you're bouncing. Right. On. You can bounce <laughs> your own stuff. We were talking about, um, like, what is this card? Uh, the giant. Yeah, the mythic, rum cloak giant. Yeah, the it's mythic like five giant. mana just all nine giant creatures, and then seven mana, seven seven vigilance, which is just like <clears throat> perfect. It's a control deck sweeper that turns into a late game win con that you know you can later bounce in your control deck with your Teferi to buy back a sweeper. Yeah, and it doesn't kill the the other giants, and they're not legendary. Like this makes it makes like yeah and 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 then there's the hero's downfall. Like now, mind you, Esper is going to be very hard without the w- without the support of the dual lands. But you know, like you you have a hero's downfall, and then you have there's just all these different effects that are creatures. You know that they're reasonable creatures at their casting cost, and you know you'll be happy bouncing them. So I don't know. I, I hate to fairy. Oh, Wizards I hate the word walkers so much. I yes, <clears throat> I just hate them all. Um, even the bad ones. We don't like the bad ones. Even like even Tibalt, which is better than original Tibalt. It's a matter of like, principle. Just we don't. I'm not a fan of planeswalkers with static abilities, and I'm not a fan of asymmetrical hate cards that have no opportunity costs to play and also do other things. Um, yeah, you can pit the needle. Someone pit the needle on one of the walkers over the weekend, and I felt so bad for them because it's still, the walker still had its static. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like. <laughs> um, I want to do a quick rundown of cards that have stood out to you or you've heard buzz about. Uh, not really. I mean, I've heard buzz about a lot of cards for the for this standard set. There's just so much because we're not going to know the entire meta game until we get rid of. We we have to see the effects of the pool of no none of the old cards, right? Because the old cards right now are very powerful. Vampires, um, Dominaria, Dominaria is is just ridiculous. And losing Dominaria opened up a lot of stuff. Testing Beast is like one of the big ones that everybody knows. Yeah, about it's, it's so blatantly pushed. It's just like, you all complain about Planeswalkers, but here's your obvious answer to Planeswalkers. It's a miscutter Hydra that also punches your Planeswalker in the face when you punch them in the face. or something. It's, it's everything. It, it, it literally has an entire wall of text and nothing Yeah, bad. the literal only downside like of this card is that it's legendary. <laughs> that's the right. that's actual downside. Right. <laughs> I mean, I read it like three times, and I was like, well, "Why is this? Why do they print this?" <laughs> like, I know they they Teferi's been a problem, but I mean, this is a little late. <laughs> uh, the new Fae of Wishes is cool, right? The new the witch that keeps on wishing. Yeah, but it's a four mana wish, so it's like as as far as I don't know if there's anything legacy playable. Well, the free spell. The free spell will we'll probably see once upon a time. Yeah, once upon a time is playable. Uh, Charming Prince is probably playable in Death and Taxes and Humans. I know it's definitely like I'm for sure Eddie's going to test it in Humans because it does way too much. Um, people are like 
losing it over deafening silence, which is just another Aethersworn Canonist effect slash rule of law uh, slash dampening sphere effect. And uh, It's really bad, though. I can snapcast her swords. It's like the same thing. It's like all of those effects, like people look at those, non-combo players look at those effects and they're like, oh my god, this is so good. And what happens is the combo players look at this these cards and they're just like, can I still cantrip for my answer to this card through it? Yeah? Okay, it's not the biggest deal. Like, Aetherstorm Canonist is a better card than this because Aetherstorm Canonist attacks. And, like, like it pressures your opponent and, like, by providing a clock, it's a very, like, finite period of time that your opponent can spend cantrip. And, you know, Aetherstorm Canonist works well in conjunction with Stoneforge because you, like, play your Canis and you play your Stoneforge and you get your Batter Skull and now your opponent is just like, all right, well, my one spell for this turn is going to be cast Thoughtseize, I guess. And then, you know, if you, like, counter the Thoughtseize or whatever, you know, you've traded a turn or you let them see your hand and it's, here's a bunch of counter magic and here is my Batter Skull. Pick one. It's it's one of those things. Uh, but this card just kind of like comes down and does the same thing, but it doesn't clock them. So you're going to have to worry, like have other cards that clock. So this card isn't going to be as playable in like a deck like Miracles or Stoneblade, where there are already other effects that do similar things that better fit into those decks' game plans. Stoneblade, Canonist, Miracles, Counterbalance. Uh, this could. I actually don't mind this card for, mir- for Miracles because they're Snapcasters. Still gets a cast a counter spell, which is interesting enough, but I think it's terrible for DNT because, like, as much as I hate, well, I don't think DNT cares about bringing in these effects against miracles. Um, I think DNT actually having a turn one play against combo is really nice. Uh, regarding this in miracles, I, I just disagree. Like, as much as I dislike the card counterbalance, I think that that card has a lot of like upside and a bit more flexibility. And how it functions, and um, I, I think that you're probably going to just opt to play Counterbalance over this, uh, even though you may whiff on some blind flips. I, I think this card could see play in something with creatures, like Maverick or Death and Taxes, and I think the slower, more controlling decks are probably just going to move on with their lives. Yeah, I mean, for me it was like more like I could play it with Counterbalance, not one or this or the other because it's a sideboard card. But like I just don't I, I've never I never minded so I've always brought in Aetherstorm Caminus as a when I play Death in Texas against Miracles, but I I don't just jam it out. Like I wait for the Snapcaster to be on the stack and then I buy sure, it. Sure. That's like a thing you can do. It's you know it's like an okay plan. The card is like it, it's not stellar in that matchup, but No no no, but I, I like I don't I only bring in stuff that I like to bring in stuff that attacks. When I play Death in Texas, instead of like they bring in a lot of like, like Council's judgments and things that don't attack, and then they never have any cards to attack you, and they wonder why you you live to turn seven and you know balance the game. Yeah, but I think that so, like with Palace Shaler and other things, they've gotten so many like proactive actual hate bear style effects that like you can board in Canonist, but you're not actively reaching for it. You're just like, oh yeah, I may board this in because I have space. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's what I, 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 that's exactly, so I run him, 
I run them because they're for combo methods, but I bring them in against Miracles because I like it better than Revoker or Mom, you know? Um, I get what you're saying regarding Revoker. I'm not sure you can cut that card, but that's just, I mean, I don't play enough Death and Taxes. I've only played the matchup from the Miracle side. So, I, yeah, I, I don't. I've always cut, I usually cut a lot of the cards that, like, there's just certain cards that I'm not a big fan of. I, I'm not even a four mom fan against Miracles just because, I feel like, mom is such a, it's only good if it's mom, Thalia, Caracas. And, and, with a vile port. Like, that's the only time that you're scary. But there are, there are draws where mom's insane, and there's a lot of draws where it's just a mopey do nothing. Yeah. 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 Is, I, and I'd just rather cut. What were you uh, saying? I'd rather just cut cut things that can become mopey draws in that matchup. But uh, everything else, I mean, there's a neat. Uh, the once upon a time is going to be busted in half. I can't believe it's still an instant. Every time I look at it, I'm like, why is it an instant? Why can't I cast it on my opponent's like upkeep is, pre-game effects? <laughs> is Dance of the Mance like I don't know if it's legacy playable, but it, it's interesting. It's the mass reanimate for artifacts. It's probably just something that somebody's gonna try to abuse with Urza. Um Blue White X, sorcery, return up to X target artifacts. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, and that, then if that, you pump enough, it's basically like the, like, what was that cycle in uh, War of the Spark where it was like, this card does X, and then if you pump X man into it, it does X plus Y. Yeah, it's I can't remember. That. Yes, yeah, I saw that card. I thought it was really interesting, but then like I remember we just got Savine's Reclamation, which is just such so much more mana efficient. So, like. It's really interesting, and it's also another deliberate plant for Theros, and I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I wish they hadn't done that so much. It's a very interesting <laughs> card. I'm fine with um, my sets having crossover and build-up to each other. Like, I'm fine with super synergy-driven standards, and this seems like what they're doing. They're just gonna, like, have very coherent synergies, and I'm fine with that. Like, you know, I don't know. I'm glad that they've been careful with these uh, adventure cards because they're all like they're borderline like you shave a mana or add a power of toughness and I think they'd all be really bonkers. Yeah, they're all like potentially format warping uh, like you said reduce a mana, add whatever um, they could break not legacy. I don't think many of, I think some of them are probably legacy playable like there's the Manic Vandal effect, which is interesting, but I guess that card is one mana and doesn't pop Chalice of the Void. Right. Um, but there's but, the the mini... Um, oh, what is that card? It only attacks, I think, for the for its good side, but the, it's the mini um, Trigon Predator effect. And that's... I think that's a two-mana spell. It's the Goldilocks. Sure. Also, the hero's downfall. I think the hero's downfall is really good. The hero's downfall is like way more interesting and modern, where you are more likely to be trying playing like traverse the Lunewald. It's just really. I mean, it's close to me. Like, wow, it's it's a very powerful effect, and it gets lifelink. 
that's that's just really interesting. I don't know. Yeah, There's I was that. I was thinking about that card and like Grixis control, but my worry is just like three mana is a lot, and the lifelink body isn't super relevant for a lot of matchups. So my concern was like, where would I want this card over like Dreadbore or something like Liliana's Triumph, especially in current Legacy where the format is very hyper efficient and you get like a lot of the planeswalkers die to either red or blue blast so any planeswalker that isn't dying to one of those uh is probably like karn right and well dies to blue blast so like you're kind of looking at this card to tag karn specifically and i think i want a cheaper answer to karn um as opposed to having the flexibility. So I'm not I don't think that card's like playable in the current state of legacy, but I wouldn't be shocked to see it like get played. Um to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if like you're you're gonna laugh when I say this. You're gonna laugh. But if I was a Nick Fit player <laughs> I'd be looking yeah. at this set, you know? No, like what are Nick Fit's biggest issues? It does a lot of stuff to make mana, and then it plays, like, singular function cards that don't have a huge impact on the game. No, right? they, no that's definitely heads up. You you actually got mana sinks that are right. spells and creatures. So, like, if you have a bunch of, like, a hero's downfall that's also a creature, not stellar, but probably good enough for your, like, pernicious deed deck. Whatever, blew up my thing, e-witness back my hero's downfall, make it a creature again. Just like having all these mana sinks is really nice. Um, Emery's also going to be busted in half. I don't know why that card was printed. That's the that's the Merfolk wizard that's legendary. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the card's busted. The card has affinity for artifacts on it, and then yes, its floor yeah. is tap buyback target bobble. Um, it's obviously going to be like it's the card that screams break me. And people are going to do it. I would, I would be shocked if that card doesn't see play. Like, I think every, I think everyone is on the same page of that card is the immediate go-to of how do I break this? AKA, what four cards am I cutting from my artifact deck? Well, they gave it like affinity. Why? Right. And then they gave it, oh, by the way, when it enters the battlefield, you just take them four cards on top of your library. You slap them in your yard in case you didn't fuel up enough on your own. So <laughs> from a legacy perspective, Jarvis was streaming Tesserator last week, right? And the eternal issue with Tesserator is it has the issue that all child decks have where a lot of your games are very draw dependent or you look at your opening hand and you're just like, hope this is good enough. And you do some things. And if it isn't good enough, like you die, right? And then Tesserator compounds that with the issue of having color restrictions on its cards. And then it all further compounds that with a lot of those cards being low power. And players used to play Thirstry Knowledge as a way to mitigate all of that as like a playable brainstorm in your child's deck. And then they cut that for DAC. And then when they stopped playing DAC, they started playing uh, Urza. But that doesn't solve your consistency issues. But like... You can turn one an Embry and then play a Mox or turn one a Chalice of the Void and then play a Mox Opal and then play Embry for one mana 
And that is potentially a draw engine. Well, Maybe, Emery, you know, Emery is more broken because Emery, Emery is not welder. Emery says, choose the target artifact and then you may cast it. Welder can't weld a, a chalice back in. You know, it just welds the chalice back in on zero. Emery actually says, nah, you want to put that back on one or two like you had it? Just do it. Just put it back on one or two. You know, get the misery started back up. Right. The other thing I was looking at is like, Blue Red Painter used to be a deck. And without top, it kind of floundered. And we're seeing a lot of these random, like, mono-red painter builds that are just playing, like, a bunch of goblins. And uh, they're playing, the like, goblin welder slash goblin engineer plus um, Acre Wellspring draw engine. But, like, you know, Emery's a good card. Maybe maybe those decks want to explore blue-red again. How about um, Grindstone yourself? Find what you need. Yeah, turning it's, Grindstone it's... into, like... You have a you have a yog will that's in a that has affinity for artifacts. Or I guess it's just Snapcaster Mage for artifacts, but still, like it's if also Snapcaster Mage milled for when it came into play. That card would be, or like when you put it on the stack or whatever, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely something abusable. I'm curious to see what happens there. It actually turns Grindstone into top, into a top that can then kill your opponents. Yeah, that's. that's that's what it does. Seems kind of worth looking into to me. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, we definitely know Emery's going to be busted, probably make modern miserable all over again. Modern deserves it. It's fine. I think I, the Royal Scions could also see play. I don't know if they see play in like Red and Six Legacy because they died to both Red and Blue Blast, but like what they do is very interesting to me. They give Goyf Trample. Yeah, they're like a loot. Like they pair well with Ren and Six for sure. Like the loot is relevant. The plus damage is relevant on like a Goyf or a True Name or whatever. The ultimate says draw four cards. I kind of stopped reading after that. Um, <laughs> you don't have to read it after that. <laughs> yeah, it says draw four cards. So what it does after that, as long as there isn't discard in there. You know, it says draw four cards and deal damage equal to the number of cards that you have in hand. So, like, sure. also pairs well with Ren and Sip. Actually, this card is, uh, we talked about it a little bit before because we, Strifo never answered us. We want to know if Strifo starts to play one in his deck over over one of his 13 decks. But um, I do think with Tarmogoyf, this card is busted. Because Tarmogoyf's only downfall is you can brick wall, right? With another Goyf. Yeah, like, things that break Goyf symmetry are obviously good. Um, well, even, like, a Peasy, right? Like, a single Peasy can annoy Goyf. Yeah, and, like, Ren and Six keeping Young Pyromancer very much in check um, is part of why Tarmogoyf is good again. Like, outside of being the go-to Greek threat, it's also just, like, you aren't going to have those situations where you're, like, Grix's Devil opponent just plays a Young Pyromancer and walls up and then kills you with a true name level like, laughing as you die. Right. I, I do think the card's definitely legacy playable. Oko's too weird. Can't do it. Can't even figure it out. Got a food token. Can't can't understand it. Not gonna happen. It's yeah, there's, like, things you can do. Um, 
like, I've had a lot of Infect players play weird things against me. I'm not sure this would fit in, but, like, turning Noble Hierarch into a 3-3 is potentially relevant. Um, there's some standard synergies people are talking about, and Ari Lax just wrote an article about how this card is nuts, so uh, we'll direct people to Star City Games, uh, even though we aren't sponsored. But Yeah, I mean, they're both nuts because they're, they're three mana walkers that go up to six, and that's not even reasonable, right? They lose their they lose the ability to defend themselves, and I lose with the air quotes because they go up to six, and that's just an unreasonable number. You know, that's that's what Wizards' new standard is because I think the Carns were the first ones that did it, where they went up to some giant number of four mana Carns. Yeah, like any planeswalker that goes up to a high in loyalty is going to create game breaking. Uh, play patterns, and we're literally seeing that with Rim and Six going up to just four. Like that's the threshold, right? You can't lightning bolt me. I'm gonna make your life suck. But uh, before we head out, I or we'll stop this portion. I want to talk about the rare land cycle that got spoiled. Have you looked at them? I have seen all five. They're all really good. They'll break standard. I don't know about for legacy. I mean, um, I mean the one, the green one's going to be miserable and modern. If the, I'm playing Pox, I'm snapping off the black one. The the black one is the I think the best one for legacy. Like the black one is uh, Castle of Lock Twain. Are these all? It's the Star Destroyer. Yeah, it's um one black black draw card. You lose like equal to the number of cards in your hand. Uh, and it enters the battlefield path unless you control swap. I think this is just like a free one of in like your in your um, pot shell. Um, it's not a two of. Like this land isn't legendary, right? No. Ask yourself why all these giant stupid castles aren't legendary. Why, why are these named castles not legendary? Yeah, wizards, um, you should have learned from Valakut. You really had the moment there where you messed up. And you said, we don't need to make this legendary. So what is a named mountain? What 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 like happened bad? You know. <laughs> and they just did this rare cycle of named lands that are pushed. Not legendary. Sure. And like um Julian Knob tweeted out about Castle Ventress, the blue one that's two and blue blue scry two, and like he was worried about it, and I I don't think that's a good enough rate. Like, 5 mana Scry 2 isn't good in Legacy, and it's definitely not good enough in Legacy when, like, everybody is playing Ren and 6 plus Wasteland, you know? It's like, or Ren and 6 plus Fiery Islet. Just much cheaper effect for, or much, like, arguably better effect for a better rate. I think the common lands they've spoiled are more powerful than the blue rare land. I think the blue rare land could be easily be the worst of the bunch. Because the white one is a fixed outpost, right? For, what it is, is like four mana draw a card on a land isn't busted, but it's like, like when you make it a free inclusion into control decks, you start going towards like the standard environments that Wizards hates where players are just like forcing control. Like, this card is Searcher's Canta that you never have to devote an actual spell slot to. Like, if, it, if it's a draw card, it would be functionally a search for his cancer that you never had to draw, 
devote a spell slot to. So that's probably too much incentive for players to play or like build these control shells. Um, no, I agree. So I understand with that. why. I understand why it's Scry Two. Right. I think that it's like it's weak compared to everything else, right? Yeah, that's what I'm. Like that's have, what I'm saying. I think the white one's way better, the red and the green, and I think even the common lands are better than the. Blue. I think the red one is like kind of ridiculous. Oh, the red one's insane. <laughs> <laughs> like red, red, colorless tap creatures you control get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. Like, yep. Good thing we haven't had a history of standard where the mono red deck was really pushed and better than everything else. Otherwise, you know, people would take notice of cards like this and maybe build a mono red aggro deck. Lords, you have to play all you know, mountains for that to work. Good thing that's a downside. You have to play all mountains. <laughs> good thing that this set isn't based around a mechanic where a lot of the creatures have spell modes. And then also are creatures and have text as creatures as well. Like that's that's not a thing wizards would do. So <laughs> we don't we don't have to worry about we don't have to worry about that. Like there isn't a three mana four three that also is a two mana shock that stops damage. And the four mana four three totally doesn't like shock your opponent when they target it. That's not a thing. How, how do there you, isn't a how do you like the green one? It turns into there's a prime time. There's a two mana two two with haste <laughs> that, that steals things from your opponent's deck. That ain't an issue. There ain't a one mana one one with first strike and haste that attacks and gives other knights plus one plus so like you know, good thing these don't exist. That that won't be a thing, right? We they wouldn't do that to us, right? Yes, they would. They they wouldn't also just give this red deck a bunch of under or above rate creatures or under rate or whatever like efficiently costed creatures that have multiple abilities and allow you to cheat on spell slots because they also function as reach or something for some reason and also card advantage and then also just give you a seamless mana sink that you can put in your mana base at the low cost of having basic mountain and it's not legendary next to it. and the robber of the rich isn't legendary. Ask yourself that one. They wouldn't do that. It's cool. You can play. You, you can play four Robber of the Rich, four two two, Reach Haste Steel cards. I don't know. I think the green one's insane because it ramps straight to prime time. I'm kind of curious where they came up with that idea. Let's go to six. Yeah, <laughs> some amulet player is just gonna do this. I know Dom Harvey was tweeting about it, and like, what? This means turn. What's the fastest Valakut in modern can get to five mana? Turn it's like turn four. It's turn four, like which is usually when they also have six mana, but like it's still just kind of like probably a free inclusion to maybe have one of these. Maybe not. It's hard to say. No, like, this one could take it to turn. You could do it in turn three with this. Yeah, the issue is you can't tutor this land up with that deck. So like where this card becomes powerful is a deck like Amulet where uh, but you can. Elvish Reclaimer. <laughs> There's like no way Valakut's like putting Elvish Reclaimer in their deck. I like guess. you don't ever really want to turn on your opponent's removal game one efficiently. No, I agree. I'm just saying like you could. They don't do much on turn one. They could play Reclaimer. But they could. But, but it hurts their... It, they do all of a sudden get hit by actual removal. 
Yeah, the blue one's just terrible. Because I mean, and I don't mean terrible. Like it's they they were they were being careful because blue has been oppressive again for a couple years. So they've got to like tone it back down. Because I like the I like I want to see the rest of the fetchable lands because we've only got the plains and the swamp. The blue one is very clearly undercosted for the reasons I listed before. Just like wizards not wanting control to be a thing. So you can't just like put draw a card on a land for like. Would draw a card be busted? It'd be. It wouldn't be like busted, busted, but it would be like here's this land that's free, and that would be the. It's problem. like. I think it's more the fact that like if it said draw a card, it would be on the power level as the other cards, and the other cards are kind of egregious to a degree. Uh, maybe not the white one because Keldor and Outpost. I mean, we already have like. Adanto, which is cycling out, but it's like the same concept, just like a flood mechanic for these white decks. But like, even that one is technically higher power. Uh, I think like the green one is probably the lowest power in standard. But when you like compare the blue one to white, black, and red, like if it had draw a card, it would be on the same power level as those decks. Where and the issue is like. Wizards doesn't want to support those play patterns. Like, they're fine with people, like, playing these fast aggro decks, and they're fine with, like, green-black greens, and they're fine with white aggro, but they aren't fine with control, which, you know... I think they're selling the green one short. Just, just so you know. Uh, it's like going a, going a turn faster than standard without casting a spell is probably, is probably good enough. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly just context, or, like, dependent on the context of the format, and, like, if there's a ramp deck or what cards end up getting played. The fact that, like, a lot of the green spell creatures uh, cost a reasonable amount of mana on their, like, creature side. Actually, do they? So far, that's not even really the case. No. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean we... Green's yeah. actually pretty under-costed in the set. The green we'll see what happens. Well, we won't see what happens with the green ones till Nissa goes anyways, because Nissa's the best thing to do in green, because Nissa's a Nissa's an unreasonable walker from War of the Spark. See, before we hate War of the Spark. So, um, speaking of, like, sick of it, uh, Mr. Uh, Matt Sperling, he, uh, we're going to give him a shout-out, because he did an analysis of uh, one of your uh, leagues recently, right? Yeah, he like watched one of the matches I streamed, and um, just kind of like a, like you said, did an analysis of it. It's really interesting. Um, I believe he is on the YouTubes at Matt Sperling MTG. Uh, I will add the link to the show notes where you already did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Check it out. It's really cool. Matt's been doing a series called magic for advanced players or something along those lines. Um, and he's just been like going deep and on concepts that people don't discuss uh, a little while ago. He discussed like playing a 50 card limited deck, which is interesting to me. Um, and like gave actual logic as to why he would want to build this particular limited deck 50 as a 50 card deck. Um, Did you get a one chance to watch the video? Yeah, I did watch his video. Um, 
I ended up talking to him about it. Like, there's some plays that I look at in hindsight that I really didn't agree with. There was like one play where like uh, I should have dazed a Seder Wayfinder yes. to put my tap my, make my opponent tap their land to go to six, but and like, make Wayf lethal. Yep, you knew. Okay. Don't yeah, know. I was like streaming late and tired, and um, and still five zero. Like, like I thought about I thought about the line, and that's a line I make a lot against Ancient Tomb decks. But I just didn't take the time to do the math and figure out, like, dazing here forces them to tap down to six. If they were going to cast, um, like, a hex mage or something, it would put them to five. So, like, my opponent has to chump lock this turn, and then my Gurmag Angler that I'm playing would then become lethal. It's one of those things. I think you were playing to the next so. turn. Yes. I think you were playing for the, the next, next turn instead of that turn. And also, what it really was is cannon. like I was playing against Hogat Depths, and I played against that matchup like maybe two or three times ever. So I was kind of like not really sure what I was playing around, and was just mostly focusing on just trying to beat my opponent to death. Okay. So, like those smaller percentage plays, I just ended up messing because of unfamiliarity, which like doesn't happen super often for me, but. Like, it happens, I guess. I, w- I would also say the Horizon Canopy lands aren't also, like, all over our head, right? You know, like... I mean, not really. Like, like we're aware they exist, and those play patterns are, like, kind of common with Delver. It's more just, like, I was kind of playing afraid around, like, I'm not quite... It was just a matter of not knowing what I should be playing around, which... Uh, at times like that, I have the tendency to either like play a bit too passively or play too aggressively. And I think this was a situation where I was playing too passively for no major upside. Yeah, I know. I do think that uh, there were some of the lines he said differently, but then he watched you play it out, and it actually he walked his way back towards your path sometimes. And sometimes he just disagreed with you, but it was very, it was very great. Um, different take on it especially from you know what he said he's not a you know he's not a entrenched legacy player so yeah i mean sperling has done a lot with legacy recently like he made the blue white delver deck even though i don't uh particularly like that deck for multiple reasons at the current moment um like he definitely knows his stuff and he's like obviously a much better player than me um there are some lines that he talked about that I wasn't the biggest fan of when we discussed those, and there are other lines that he discussed where I agreed. So I was really happy that he, um, you know, went over the matches. It was really interesting to watch. We had some listener questions from Dylan Hovey. We already, he asked us. I'm sorry. We already discussed it. Uh, I was going to say, I was just going to read it out loud, but then let him know that we had addressed it. That what do we think of the Just Got Snow deck? Yeah. We see you, uh-huh. Dylan, all the way down there because you're short. <laughs> <laughs> ah, he's average height. He's average height. Uh, uh, also, Patreon plug, guys. We do. Lawrence has been working hard typing at the keyboards. He's actually going to be bugging me to start typing at the keyboards and help him out on it. Uh, but he's got part two of that four color double primer. And we uh, hope you thirsty grinders are ready to take a drink of it. Just uh, there's several different types of drinks in the Patreon plug, I believe. So uh, yeah, 
we have different tiers. Um, right now, the primer's on the $15 tier, but uh, moving forward, there's going to be articles that'll be available to all of the tiers and uh, some other content ideas going forward. Um, we talked about maybe like a additional monthly Patreon exclusive episode. So that is something to potentially explore in the future. Uh, we have no new Patreons to shout out this week, but we are, you know, still shouting out to the people, all the people that have subscribed. Thank you very much. You guys are awesome. You are uh, giving us the funds that we need to help pay for the audio engineer for this cast and to help get us upgraded and everything else. Um, Lawrence, where can people find you on the Twitter verse? Uh, it's just my name, Lawrence Harmon. Um, where can they find you? Raceland I am. If you haven't read Dragonlance, you won't get it. And then our editor, Kwame, can be found at Tripod Gun, Gun with two ends. And then the podcast Twitter page and Patreon are uh, on their respective websites at Thirst Forecast. So. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. We'll see you next week. See you, yeah. man.